Good Monday. Kevin, BJ, and Ben, glad you're with us. Man, college football always gives us so much to talk about coming out of the weekend, and certainly there's more to talk about this week. We'll get to the very latest out of Statesboro, Georgia Southern, parting ways with Chad Lunsford. The ACC goes ACC. If you think a team's good, think again. They will lose. You can almost take it to the bank week in and week out. Brooks Austin will join us. Georgia annihilated Vanderbilt. I think we all kind of figured it would happen, but maybe even not to the degree that it did happen. So we'll get to that, the good, the bad, the ugly, as we do every Monday from the college football weekend and more. But, guys, it's changing Statesboro. Chad Lunsford is out, took over in 2017, got the full-time gig in 2018, one of the biggest turnarounds in college football history from two wins to ten wins. I believe that season they set the record for fewest turnovers in the course of a season ever uh, for college football. And just a few years later, out after a rough start, first four games. Yeah, that's big news. And you think about Chad Lunsford, as you mentioned, Kevin, uh, had some great stretches of success in Statesboro. Uh, You know, won a lot of big games and had that turnaround that will always be remembered. Of course, you wish Coach Lunsford the best uh, moving forward. Uh, Georgia Southern, who has Arkansas State this weekend and has a really difficult schedule coming up. You think about Georgia State and Coastal Carolina and BYU and App State and South Alabama's undefeated. Um, Kevin Whitley going to take over a program great. So uh, you wish Kevin, Coach Whitley, the best moving forward. Uh, I think he is, uh, you know, a guy that, that loves the program, knows the program, but Big news, uh, you wish Chad Lunsford the best. And I think as, uh, as uh, Jerry Binko, I believe, said earlier this afternoon, had a press conference in Statesboro around 1.30, a couple of different factors uh, contributing to this. But Georgia Southern at, at, at 1-3 and three and played Louisiana fairly close. But the week before that, of course, a, a big loss at Arkansas. You had a really uh, disappointing performance at FAU, 1-3 uh, and three with the win over Gardner-Webb. And uh, Georgia Southern making a change. I mean, with obviously the video that went viral of the young man definitely didn't help uh, Coach Lunford's case this weekend. And, uh, you know, you know, Jared Binko, you know, uh, when you talk about being an AD at any school, this is what they hire you. This is what they hire you for to make these uh, tough decisions. And BJ and Kevin, yeah, you're going to talk about going from two wins to ten wins, but and you're going to talk about being able to go to, you know, three straight bowl games. But you're looking at you're looking at the state of the program. You start looking around at the state of a program, and I'm not here to bash – Coach Lunford, I was a Coach Lunford fan before Saturday. I'm a Coach Lunford fan now. But the perception and the landscape of college football and college athletics is changing. What happened at USC, we thought was only going to happen at USC. Coaches are getting fired after week two, after week three, after week four, because they're saying, okay, how can we try to salvage the season? How can we get these players, you know, playing a different brand of football to hopefully, you know, because it's all about perception. Perception drives reality. When you talk about college athletics, when I saw the video, BJ, when you sent it to me, I said, that ain't good. Because the thing about the head coach is, bigger than the fact that he is the, he, obviously the leader of these young men, he is the face of the current as well as former Georgia Southern Eagles. And if you are an alumni and you see that video, you're going to blame it on the head coach. Whether he had something to do with it or not, whether he knew about it or not, so I, I, I just chalk it up to just business as usual. And Georgia Southern is a team that says, look, we have a pretty big reputation, not just in the Sun Belt, but college football. So if Coach Lunsford comes to that sideline on Saturday or that press conference, they ask him about a young man catching a beer, chugging it on top of a moving bus. How many schools can you say you've ever seen that? And BJ and Kevin, we've seen a lot 
and Kyler, that will be a first. So, I, Coach Lonzo, listen, he was a he was a professional when he got hired. He was a professional uh, when he got fired. So I, I can appreciate him for that. But this is about perception. Before the, before you get on the field, what do I look like away from football? And that there are people who have never seen Georgia Southern football, and that's going to be their image of them. Jared Bico had to make a change. He made it on. He made it. On Saturday, man, it's unfortunate, but I just think it's business as usual when you talk about a Georgia Southern program that they want to continue to move forward. And another thing, too, what type of coach do they bring in now? Do they stick with what they've been known for, or do they do what Georgia Tech did and get away from what we've grown and known them to be on offense? And that's running out. Yeah, I, to me, that's the big question, Kevin, in terms of uh, and 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 is it going to be you know three or four months before you get to a hiring process, and you're going to have to wait and see how all that plays out. But I think that's the big question. But Ben, to your point, I think you know the video that surfaced. I think that's a you know a safety issue. I think you're talking about something that you know, potentially very dangerous standing up on top of a moving bus and then, you know, grabbing the beer. But I, I think the, you know, the safety element is, is, is something that was most concerning just about, you know, standing up on a moving vehicle, a big bus, but, uh, and, and, you know, we'll hear from Jared, uh, Abinko coming up in just a bit, but I think that's a big question right now, Kevin, amongst the fan base is, Hey, do we go kind of full flex bone or do we try to stick with some sort of a, uh, kind of, hybrid offense or do we move away from an offense that has been you know long associated with Georgia Southern and then you mentioned Georgia Tech I think that's a you know a fair parallel when you think about Georgia Tech changing from Paul Johnson who of course long ago was at Georgia Southern changing from the from the uh, you know from the scheme going to more of a sort of open I know that offense is still developing but looked good on Saturday against North Carolina by the way but I think that's one of the big questions moving forward Kevin is what type of coach do you want? What are you looking for? And offensively, what do you want the identity to be? Well, I think, obviously, that's a big question. What happened Saturday? Obviously, concerning. I don't think that was the sole reason it happened. But, BJ, you got off to a, a slow start. Couple that with what's going on around you. Coastal Carolina, top 25 program. App State, very good. Probably borderline. Could be top 25 program. Georgia State, supposedly better, put a scare into Auburn. I know Troy, not so much, but you're looking around, and the Sun Belt has some teams that are improving. The East was going to be very, very tough, and you seem to be sliding to the bottom of that. And I think that may be the cause for concern that you came in, people counted you out, boom, right there, top of the league, from the jump. Now you're seeing your rivals, App State, Coastal Carolina, even Georgia State getting a lot of preseason love saying, we think they're better than you, and then kind of playing to that level, and Georgia Southern not playing to that level. And you had Chad Lunsford just a two weeks ago saying, "Look, at Georgia Southern, we don't get beat like that when they got when they lost to FAU. Well, they did get beat like that, and I think that was probably part of the concern as well for this program moving forward. Is are we keeping up with the Joneses in our own conference? Not can we go out and beat Florida? Not can we go out and beat an FBS team or a P five team?" Can we keep pace with the teams in our own conference? And maybe they felt that was slipping away. And you mentioned the Sun Belt East. I mean, not only do you have Coastal Carolina, who's undefeated and has been in the national top 10, you know, Appalachian State is a field goal away from being undefeated against Miami. And they've been really consistent. Georgia State, you know, was easily in position to win that game against Auburn. And, uh, you know, Troy lost this weekend to Louisiana Monroe, but South Alabama out of the East is, uh, is, is also undefeated when you think about that program so uh, Georgia Southern 
one and three. That's not what you're accustomed to out of this program. Of course, six national championships from the FCS level, but also big time FBS uh, success, which Coach Lunsford has been a big part of. And I know, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of people, a lot of players, a lot of folks around the program coming out and saying, hey, I really loved and appreciated Coach Lunsford. And I think that's I think that's meaningful to see. I think Coach Lunsford was somebody that loved the program and, you know, everybody really appreciated him and appreciated what he meant on and off the field. But, you know, the number of factors that are out there, the one in three start, uh, Kevin, as you said, you really weren't competitive in that game against Florida Atlantic. Arkansas is a top 10 team now. Uh, we're, 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 we're close at the end against Louisiana, but a uh, decision made that a change needed to be made. And uh, uh, Coach Kevin Whitley in there will be interesting to see kind of what happens in terms of who are potential candidates, what type of coach do you want, uh, what type of offensive scheme do you want to implement. I think those are the big questions moving forward. Yeah, and I, I do think with Coach Lunford, I mean, I just think at the bottom line is t- behavior is, all, is only tolerated when you're meeting the bottom line. The bottom line, outside from going from two to ten wins, they've been they've been a, they've been a good program, not a great program up to this point. And I think Kevin make a great point when you're looking around and watching those guys around. Coach Carolina went undefeated, undefeated. Then you look, App is always going to be a big target target point. Louisiana's going to be a big target point. BJ, you mentioned South Alabama uh, being undefeated, unbeaten in the East. If you're not trending upward, they're saying to themselves, okay, is he the best we can get? I, I'm, and you always appreciate the contributions, but they say, is this the best we can do? It goes back to, I mean, even though Jimbo Fish survived, they, lost, they had five top ten teams a couple of years ago. They lost all five. They went seven to five. So I think that I know and when it comes to a head coach, head coach is just like players. You always being watched, you always being monitored, always keep a track. And they're saying, even though the head coach is making evaluations, the only person that can give you the eval is, is the athletic director. And I can only I can only imagine how how the, the, the calls that was flooding the office of Georgia Southern when they saw that young man. Because we understand, I mean, it was a cool moment, but we live in a perception-driven world, especially when it comes to athletics. And they was getting known for the wrong reason. Once, once, once your uh, production becomes less and your and your distraction becomes higher, they got to make it. They got to make a move. And I do appreciate them saying it wasn't just one incident. But I can I can still respect the players still saying they love Coach Lunsford. But I think this is going to be Jarabinko's biggest hire whenever he do make that. Oh, certainly will be. And again, he came out of Mississippi State SEC setting. <clears throat> now to Statesboro, had the press conference earlier today. Here's Jared Binko on this decision. Hey, one I. Uh... I appreciate everybody being here today. Uh, these decisions are not easy for coaches, uh, the families, and the program. This course of action is something we didn't take lightly. I met with Coach Lunsford yesterday and informed him of the change in leadership. It was in the best interest of the program. Uh, Coach Lunsford handled the news uh, professionally. You know, I have the utmost respect for Coach Lunsford, uh, not only as a coach, but as a person, uh, a husband, and a dad. I appreciate everything he's done for this program and both, uh, both occasions as he served as a coach here in this program, as an assistant and a head coach. You know, when you make these decisions, you look through the lens of what's in the best long-term interest of the program. We have a strong vision for Georgia Southern football, and we're not meeting it. Our current performance doesn't match our vision of comprehensive excellence. After meeting with Coach Lunsford, I met with assistant coach Kevin Whitley, and asked him to serve as interim head coach for the remainder of the season, and he has agreed to do so. We're very fortunate to have someone on our staff 
uh, with his head coaching experience and playing experience like he does. Coach Whitley was an All-American here, and he knows what Georgia Southern football is all about. I met with our team, coaching staff, support staff, and team captains yesterday. Our student-athletes are at the forefront of everything we do. And I wanted to reiterate that we're here to support them in any way that we can. I have the utmost confidence in Coach Whitley and our staff to lead our program over the next eight games. We have a lot to play for. And I know our young men will continue to prepare and play as, as hard as they've been playing. Um, they'll continue to be uh, ready to go this Saturday against Arkansas State. The search for our new head coach begins immediately. Uh, we want to we be on an upper trajectory as a program. We want to have an identity of being highly disciplined, blue collar, and tough. We're looking for the best possible candidate. We will look at head coaches and assistant coaches. We will work diligently to keep the search process confidential. There'll be a lot of rumors and innuendos about who the next coach is gonna be, uh, but it's not practical to respond to every rumor or bit of speculation. I would ask that everyone remain patient with the process. As I talk to candidates, if word gets out, particularly via sources that they interviewed uh, or our leading candidate, I'm going to assume that they're not interested in the job. It is important to manage the process in an effective manner to hire the best football coach and staff possible. I know I can count on Eagle Nation uh, to remain patient through the process and fully support the new head coach and staff once in place. The traditions of Georgia Southern football are unparalleled. Coach Eric Russell, six national championships, the best fans in the country, two members of the College Football Hall of Fame. We have more tradition in the last 39 years than anyone in the country. We can be better, and I'm fully confident we will be better. Inko, earlier today, just some quick reaction. I think the expectations are very high at Georgia Southern. You know, you heard uh, uh, Jared Binko talk about the last 39 years, you know, the last four decades, what Georgia Southern has done is beyond compare. And I think Jared Binko has high expectations for this program, a championship, you know, mindset year in and year out. Uh, and I think those expectations will, will, will certainly be the standard moving forward. Uh, talking about a coaching uh, uh, process of, of, of evaluating candidates saying, hey, we're not going to respond to every, you know, rumor. And if I hear uh, of, of, you know, talk or, or, or speculation, that's not going to be what we're a part of. So looks like the hiring process is going to be something that is going to be done behind closed doors, kind of kind of quietly, diligently without some of the speculation. Uh, but 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 Jerry Binko talking about the expectations being there in Statesboro. Yeah, he said it's not being met. And uh the the thing about Jared Binko is, like he said, he said, I respect Coach Lunt when I brought him in the office and said it's not being met. And I know that people are going to make it all about the incident, but it's not about the incident. It's, it's, it's what Kevin said. We look what's going on around you. It's, what's, it's what, what, is the, what is the national perception of Georgia Southern football? And right now, it's the middle of the road. They okay. They good enough to beat you, but, you know, they, but they might not. So I just think that right now, Jared Binko is saying, look, I'm not going to play around with this. The surge has already began. It's great to have a, a former player to be able to, you know, kind of right the ship. And look, Coach Whitley, he should, he should know. Look, you, you're a candidate right now to be the head coach because you go, you got you got eight games to go out there and prove it. But I respect it. That when you're talking about FBS, FCS, the standard is a standard. And when you talk about you start talking about Georgia Southern Beach, I know we get into this a lot. There aren't too many schools that got the tradition that Georgia Southern has 
And Jared Bico's letting people know we're not, we're not, we're not going to, we're not going to just let you know anything uh, go on here in Georgia. Southern. And I'm not saying they let it happen with Coach Lunch, but yeah, it starts right now. And uh, if you if you on that Georgia Southern staff, if you didn't think you was being evaluated before today, you better look again. These next eight games are going to be on a huge microscope. Well, and Kevin, the rest of the way, the schedule's really tough. I did want to correct myself from earlier, South Alabama in the Sun Belt West. But you look at these games, a big challenge, but a big opportunity as well with this schedule coming up. Certainly. And we'll see how they finish uh, moving forward and try to have some momentum. And certainly the speculation will start as to where they will go. We'll get to that. And more, it's three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Albert Haynes, first former defensive tackle for the Tennessee Titans. You are listening to Three and Out with Kevin, Ben, and DJ. We'll hear from Brooks Austin coming up, Dogs Daily. <clears throat> we'll talk Georgia with him in about 10 minutes. But a big weekend of college football. Uh, BJ and Ben, Clemson losing, Arkansas taking down Texas A&M, the presumed contender to Alabama in the West. And that was just two games of what took place on Saturday. Yeah, I think Arkansas has been kind of the story of the college football season. When you think about what they've done, not only beating Texas A&M, but but previously beating Texas. And when you talk about a month, uh, a resume that's that's got a month worth of games on it, you normally aren't going to have a couple, multiple signature wins. And Arkansas already does. I mean, I think they then they might have the best resume in the country. When you think about a 19-point win over Texas, a double-digit, a 10-point win over Texas A&M, they did not trail in either one of those games. And I think that's what, what's very impressive is not only did Arkansas or has Arkansas gone toe-to-toe with two nationally ranked teams, they largely dominated both of those games. And on Saturday, uh, we're able to move the football well enough against Texas A&M's defense, one of the best in the country, Traylon Burks, over 150 yards receiving. He's a star. K.J. Jefferson, the quarterback at Arkansas, some really big plays. And defensively, Arkansas will play some defense. And I think right now, even in a conference with Georgia and Alabama and Florida and Kentucky and other great defenses, I think you have to look at at, 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 uh, Arkansas and say they have one of the best defenses in the league. And really good play along the front seven. Jalen Catalan, who we all love, plays all over the place as a safety. But, yeah, when I look at this weekend – Clemson losing and falling all the way to 25th in the polls. I mean, that's something. Oklahoma struggling. Uh, You haven't really seen a a solid tier two develop around the country in terms of maybe teams after Alabama and Georgia. But to me, the story of the weekend and maybe the story of the season so far, the Arkansas Razorbacks and and Sam Pittman, the job he's done uh, there with that team. What a difference a coach makes. Sam Pittman is showing that you get the right coach in there to be able – because you have talent. Most of these teams and these schools have talent. You get the right guy in there. And Sam Pittman wasn't coming in saying, hey, I'm happy to be – he said, look, we're going to be competitive. And I know that's what every coach had to say, BJ and Kevin, but these guys are doing it on the big stage. They've taken the two flagship universities in the state of Texas, and they've beaten both of them. They beat Texas early in the year, and they just beat Texas a and True indeed. And, and I, while you can appreciate Arkansas beating them uh, on, a, on a neutral site, they did it in all three phases. 
You talk about offense that they want to be balanced. You talk about defense that they want to they, they want to force uh, three and outs. They want to force you know in between the twenties. They're gonna give it up and they're gonna get a stiff back when it comes uh when it comes to the in the red zone. Hold it, hold them Texas and M with ten points. I mean that's still a Jimbo Fisher led led team, a led offense, and you held those guys to ten points. So shout out to them Arkansas boys every year. Once again, we have to get away from the national storylines. It's all about you know the North Carolina. It's all about the LSU's and the Floridas and the Georgias. Yet. Old Arkansas, we just we just trying right along, just doing what we can control, understanding that we're in the freaking SEC West. So we know what the task if, if we just had to play outside of the SEC, that's enough to keep you up at night. Then you go add Texas. That's your out of conference game, Texas, and then they handle them. So I give Sam Pittman a lot of credit. And I think that the more we talk about Arkansas, just like these teams that we don't talk about a lot, you you learn more about their traditions and the type of things they want to do there, but they might have to – no, no. They do have the best receiver in the SEC, probably the best receiver in the country, and he proved it. I mean, one on winning one-on-ones on the outside in the SEC is rough, and that young man makes it look easy. But, yeah, shout-out to those Arkansas boys, which is only going to get harder down the stretch because you still got Auburn, LSU, Alabama, Georgia, Ole Miss on the schedule. But if you Arkansas, hey, man, it used to be, hey, Arkansas got to play these teams now – you got to play Arkansas, and that makes it a total different ball game because well, they've proven they don't play anybody. I'd say biggest beneficiary of the Razorbacks' success is Georgia this weekend. How many people were saying Clemson biggest resume uh, booster on the entirety of Georgia's schedule because outside of maybe Florida, everybody looked kind of weak on Georgia's schedule. Now this is a top 10, top 10 matchup this weekend for Georgia and Arkansas. Well, I think Georgia's a beneficiary if they win. You know, I think if uh, if Arkansas well, obviously, been, but so yeah, I mean, I think if 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 Arkansas has improved so dramatically that they come to Athens and uh, win that game. But yeah, ESPN College Game Day is going to be there. Uh, a game that is probably one of the two or three games of the week, or definitely is, and it's going to be in the national spotlight. And I think it's going to be a real physical test for for Georgia, Arkansas, Sam Pittman coach teams uh, really built at the line of scrimmage. And I think Arkansas is strong on the offensive line, on the defensive line. You, the, you've got to find a way to slow down Burks if you're Georgia. Uh, what Traylon Burks does is, I mean, Ben, I've said this before, I think he has some Peter Warwick in him. When I watch him, just open field, nobody can cover him one-on-one. Uh, this is a defense that is going to present a real challenge to Todd Munkin uh, when you think about what he wants to do offensively. And I think Arkansas's defense may force Georgia to be a little more balanced. And I think that's going to be the key looking ahead to Saturday. Arkansas doesn't give up a whole lot. And I think if you're going to move the football on them, and I think Georgia can, you're going to need guys, you're going to need the scheme to be unpredictable, right? Okay, there's JT Daniels. What You know, what's going to happen? You, you don't want to be predictable. Run on rundowns, pass on pass downs. And Georgia hasn't done that. I think you'll see a continuation of good play calling. But this is going to be a real test for the Bulldogs, no doubt about it. Arkansas is your most dangerous team in the SEC right now. When you think about a guy like BJ, to think about Traylon Burke says he's patient. When he's running routes, man, he's he understands. Look, you give me a DB one on one, unless this is what Derek Stingley Jr. or somebody like that. These dudes can't run with this dude. And 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 look, when he gets the ball in his hands, that's when he really show off his talent. I mean, so if you if you Georgia, you enjoy it because Georgia has to do with you. I know we're gonna get to Georgia's defense. It's just 
out of this world right now. And the Arkansas team that when you're not expecting to go out there and really really win games, people people always say, oh, it becomes, oh, well, that's just Texas A&M. That's just Texas. No. Arkansas just had their way with them. But, yeah, it should be. It's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to be, can you win the individual matchup? Because Georgia's going to do what they do on defense. They're going to let them DBs play on the outside. And you know the Burks, and we're going to see how good, you know, you know Darion King and those guys are. Because if you haven't, I, I judge elite talent versus elite talent. And Arkansas, no matter what, they ain't scared of nobody. They still got to play Alabama, and they play them every year. So, yeah, this is going to be a good game this weekend. I mean, I like I said, this Georgia team, you know, while they're very balanced on offense, they are stingy on defense they don't give up anything and when i say anything i mean anything they don't want to give you an inch so should be should be uh should be great thing to come saturday i think ben means they give up nothing on defense uh, there at uh at georgia they got arkansas this weekend good to have you along here three and out on this monday kevin bj and ben glad you are with us on the show we'll get to uh the wild and wacky acc coming up in just a little bit also look at the sec Big weekend this past weekend. Obviously, another big weekend coming up this week with Ole Miss, Bama, Georgia, Arkansas. Uh, we'll get to that. Of course, look, get the very latest with Georgia Southern and Chad Lunsford uh, for you here on the show. We are efforting Brooks Austin. We should have him here momentarily on the show. But Georgia, as we said going to the break, 77 total yards for Vanderbilt over the weekend. And you make jokes about the game being over as soon as they kicked the ball off. And that game was over basically as soon as they kicked the ball off. 35 to nothing in the first quarter. Just complete domination. Absolutely overwhelming. Uh, and I think we knew it was going to be lopsided. I mean, what the spread was like 35 and a half, which is one of the largest I can remember for a conference game. And, and, and clearly, you know, Vanderbilt uh, is, is not even where they traditionally are. They're, they're rebuilding, uh, you know, to, to, to the fullest extent. But like you said, Kev, uh, 28 first downs for Georgia, four for Vanderbilt. So that was uh, that was a complete mismatch in every possible way. And uh, what's up, Brooks? Nothing much, gentlemen. Sorry, I'm late. I'm, I'm normally I'm I'm on time. I'm I'm ready to roll. Today I was a little bit late, so that's on me. How are you guys today? <laughs> we're doing. Boy, you sound like you're reading an infomercial. I'm sorry, I'm a little bit late, and uh, you, we're good. <laughs> We're good, man. Hey, Georgia, as BJ said, covered in the first quarter against Vanderbilt. I know people thought this was going to be a tune-up, but, man, uh, that might be a game where maybe in years past you say, okay, Georgia still wins. Maybe they look sloppy, but it's Vanderbilt. It's going to happen. I mean, this was annihilation from the opening kickoff. I mean, if you're Vanderbilt going in this game, you probably don't like even the people within the building definitely don't expect to win that football game, right? But you definitely don't expect to show up and, and give a football team like Georgia short fields three out of their first four possessions. You turn it over multiple times, and you have a fumble on the on a kickoff return. Those are just things that bad football programs can't continue to do to even expect to be in a football game like that. Uh, if you expect to get out of the first quarter without being annihilated and getting throttled and having the backup quarterback from the opposition on the field in the second quarter, you can't do those things. And they consistently did those things over and over and over again on Saturday. So not only were they mismatched, they didn't play a very good football game either. Uh, 77 total yards, Brooks, for Vanderbilt, four first downs. We know this Georgia defense is generationally good, but is that about as perfect of a performance as you can have from a defense? 
Yeah, I mean, personally, I, I, I still think their best performance of the year, even though what we know about Clemson now was that that opening game. That There was sheer dominance in that opening game uh, against a really quality football opponent. Um, this Vanderbilt game, I mean, they, they were playing the, the second and third string units by, I mean, the third or fourth possession. I, I believe Jordan Davis said after the game he played nine snaps in that football game, and they were still that dominant. So, yeah, I mean, it's easy to look at the box score and say 77 total yards, four first downs. Um, they held – I think I wrote an article this morning. They held Vanderbilt to 1.3 passing yards per completion. It's absolutely absurd. Absolutely absurd. They threw the ball 18 times and had 24 yards through the air. I mean, it, it makes no sense, some of these statistics in that box score. Uh, and somehow, even looking at the box score, the game felt even more dominating. Georgia's defense line, I thought one player that stood out to me the most, um, and I think the national media is finally catching up on it, is just how – talented how special Jalen Carter is um this is this is gonna be the next first round draft pick out of Georgia from the defensive line position he just might be the most pound for pound dynamic football player that they have on their roster he does everything for them as a sophomore from playing nose tackle to even bumping out and playing some defensive end every once in a while he's scary good Brooks over 500 yards of offense, uh, you know, for this uh, Georgia offense. And I know people, we we box score watches, right? We want to have that one quarterback who give you 300 yards passing, four touchdowns. But how much of a benefit is it the fact that you don't have to lean on one side? Yes, the, the offensive numbers, you were wanting to be more passing, maybe rushing, but they found a way to, uh, you know, feed a, lot, feed a lot of guys on offense in the run game and the passing game. At the end of the day, it's about keeping all those guys happy. It seems to be working. Yeah, I mean they they were pretty much 50-50, right on the on their ground and in the air on Saturday, as you would expect. I mean, once they get up, I think Carson Beck played most of the second half, and he only threw the ball three times. So, uh, and another thing that I'd learned this was new to me, guys. I don't know about y'all. I had no idea running clock was even an option in college football, and to see that happen in an SEC like conference game was mind-boggling to me. Now, granted, I was extremely thankful because I was in the middle of a three-and-a-half-hour live stream with it, and I was about ready to pull my hair out because it was so boring watching a game like that. But did had no clue about that. But I, I think the other thing that stood out to me was just how creative they were uh, with, with their offensive game plan. We saw a tight end jet sweep uh, to Brock Bowers. We saw a reverse to Ladd McConkey. Um, they, they pretty much ran the offense and didn't hold any punches, knowing that they got Arkansas coming to town next week. Uh, for a top 10 opponent. Brooks, speaking of that, Arkansas comes in. Who would have thought this five weeks ago? Uh, we were talking about, hey, after Clemson, Georgia's schedule kind of takes a, a downward turn here. Mm -hmm. Now Clemson has almost fallen out of the top 25, and Arkansas is now going to be a top 10 team coming in. Yeah, I mean, I, I think – you said it best right there going into the season. This wasn't a football game on the schedule that I was like, wow, I'm really worried about that one. But I think Kirby said it best today. Um, it shouldn't be surprised to see a football team like Arkansas start the way they have this year. They're extremely veteran savvy. Um, they have a bunch of super seniors. I think he said they have eight on the roster, which are sixth year, fifth and sixth year guys that were, you know, given an additional year of eligibility thanks to the NCAA being the NCAA. So, you get eight super seniors back. I think they returned seven guys on both sides of the football, and they got some pretty good key transfer players, two from Mizzou uh, and one from a, a mid-major football team. I believe that big nose tackle is actually a transfer um, that they got in this year. So they're a really old football team. They're a really veteran football team. So when you go and you, you play a team like Texas at home, you should beat that football team. 
the the biggest win on their schedule was the one last week. But again, I mean, Matt Calzada is a backup quarterback. He lost that job for a reason in the spring out there at Texas A&M. They've been rolling with Haynes King for a long, long time, and he's got a broken leg. So you're facing a, a guy in his first career start, first real meaningful football game. Uh, Calzada, I know he played the week before, but you know they're playing. But they were playing a nobody opponent the week before, and then they got to go play an Arkansas football team that's big, fast, and physical. And he looked pretty overwhelmed for the better part of that football game. So this is really, to me, is both of these teams' first like real big time test. This is their their first real big away game for Arkansas. Um, you know they they come down to Athens on a noon kick uh, for in front of ninety three thousand people on a college game day game. That's something that Arkansas hasn't been able to say in a long, long time. I, I Arkansas has been on game day probably since the days of Darren McFadden. So th- this is a football program that hasn't been here quite yet before, but they're very, very experienced. So maybe they'll be able to handle it. Yeah, and you mentioned that front seven uh, going to be a big matchup with Georgia's offensive front. Brooks, I know you've talked about the dogs needing to improve running the football, and every week they've improved in terms of their total rushing yards and total rushing touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Do you think that aspect of this team is where it needs to be now as they get ready for Arkansas? I, I still think there's plenty of room for improvement. Um, I, I think it's something that we've talked about with with our followers and our readers is like, you know, yeah, Georgia ran the ball really, really well Saturday against a Vanderbilt, a Vanderbilt football team. But they did get shut down on two consecutive short yardage situations and a goal line situation against a Vanderbilt front that they should be able to push around. And if you really look into the box score, right, you see them averaging over five yards per carry. But look at the guys that carry the ball in between the box, like in between the tackles, right? Zamir White not out here ripping off 30-yard runs right now, not in between the tackles. Most of their explosives, most of their 20-plus yard runs have come via jet sweeps and have come via uh, re- reverses and have come, you know, with uh, James Cook catching a bubble screen and running for 20, 25 yards. It hasn't been, I'm going to line up in between the tackles and punch you in the mouth. That's not what it's been so far this year, apart from that closing drive against Clemson. So there are signs that it's there. There are signs that they can do these types of things. You just got to do it on a much more consistent level and a much consistent basis. I mean, Brooks, most of the time, when you know, when I think about this Georgia offense, yes. I mean, I do – it is kind of weird watching them just throw the ball around a little bit more. It's almost like justifying the fact that we got we got perimeter guys getting the guy back like Darnell Washington. But just efficiency running the football. Like, I know that, yeah, Zamir White, these guys aren't doing it how they usually do it. But how much is that them or how much is it just a, a retooled offensive line that's really trying to find their identity week in and week out regardless of the opponent? Yeah, they're still trying to figure out who they are. I mean, they 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 don't know what their starting their best starting five is right now. Um, and, and honestly, like looking back on it, they did a bunch of experimenting this weekend. They gave a bunch of guys reps and and played a bunch of different rotations. I think in the first half, you saw three different offensive line units out there with with six guys basically. Um, they they moved Jamari Sawyer inside at guard. They moved Warren Erickson to center. They they put Xavier Trust in there. They did a whole bunch of different things to try to identify, hey, like what's what's our best offense? What's our most congruent unit looking like? Me personally, I'd have started doing that against UAB. I mean, I would have started at UAB as, a, as an experimental tool for my offensive line. I'd have done the same for South Carolina, and I dang sure would have done the same thing that they did for Vanderbilt. And that gives you three full games worth of experiments and worth of tape. Uh, to figure out who you are. 
Um, but instead, they experimented and only really experimented last week. I know they they put Broderick Jones in there against South Carolina early in the football game when Stetson Bennett came in. So they've tried to get him some playing time in and out. But I, I just think I would have used the last three weeks personally to see Broderick Jones take his lumps, get in there, play left tackle, because you know in your heart of hearts right now if you're in that staff or you know in that room, our, our best unit is Broderick Jones playing left left tackle, Jamari Sawyer playing left guard, whoever plays center, Justin Schaefer at right guard, and Warren McClendon at right tackle. That is what you best look like. That is how you're going to move the football and, and control the line of scrimmage. Um, but they just haven't had an opportunity to get Broderick a lion's share of the reps just yet. They might do it this week, honestly. Brooks Austin, Dogs Daily on SI.com. Our guest, Brooks, appreciate the time. We'll talk next week. No doubt, gentlemen. Y'all have a good one. Will do. Brooks Austin joining us here on 3 and Out. We'll come back with more on this Monday afternoon. Welcome back. 3 and Out here. Braves off tonight, but two-and-a-half game lead, six games to go. Magic number is at five, and the series of the season coming up middle of the week. Phillies, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, three-game set. You get swept. You're not in first place anymore. And it comes down to what you do against the Mets, and you hope the Phillies tank a little bit. No more three important games than what you're going to face starting tomorrow. Yeah, and uh, the Braves got some much-needed late-inning uh, luck, success, whatever you want to call it. They, they were able to come through in the clutch uh, in a couple of tight games against San Diego. And, uh, listen, Will Smith, I mean – and that's what I'm kind of talking about there, Kev. Maybe you got a little bit lucky, uh, you know, leaving some guys on base. But, look, you think about the big hit from, you know, Rosario. You think about coming back a couple of times. Uh, Adam Duvall in the first game tried to do it for you. I mean, this team played clutch baseball uh, over the last couple of days. San Diego, a good team. You needed to win the series. You did. Uh, the Pirates helped you out with one. And I think now, just win. Just win. I mean, you feel good. You'd much rather have a two-and-a-half game lead. Than a, than a half-game lead. And I wanted to get your clarity on that, Kevin, real quick. You were telling me in the show meeting. So <clears throat> the game that was rained out against Colorado, if the Braves win the division by a game and a half or more, that will not be made up because it won't right. be necessary. Is that correct? That's right. It has no effect on the standings. So there's no point in making Colorado fly to Atlanta and play the baseball game, nor make Atlanta play it right before the playoffs begin. So – if you can beat the Phillies two out of three, if you can sweep the Phillies, you kind of take that potentially out of the equation. And that's I've had a lot of people text me off the show, hey, why is your voice the way it is? Will Smith, that's why. Hey, listen. I, I was talking with Christian about this off the, off, the, uh, off the air. It's the most frustrating thing of the whole thing is like, hey, Will Smith still got two saves, right? I mean, yeah, he did. But it was pretty bad getting there at the end of the day. Do a lot of yeah. I'm turning into your dad yelling at the screen, yelling at this Braves team when it comes to the ninth inning. Kevin, I mean that's what we have to suffer through, right? Even good teams have you know have have weak leaks in the chain, and for this Braves team, it is Will Smith. They have to. I guess they won because of him, if you want to call it that. But he, he it's still he's the only guy that even when he wins, it doesn't feel like a win. But you will take it. He gets paid too. He has to earn his money too. But I mean, you know, to think about this Braves team, it's not. It's not like it's not like them San Diego boys went quietly into the night, man. They, they just they got eliminated. I mean, this weekend, by the way. But I just think that 
the Braves knew. Look, they had to they had to chase the Mets, caught them. Had to chase the Phillies, caught them. Now they are the one being hunted. Hopefully, they can keep with their winning ways. Because Kevin, you said the reason why I take a hundred or some games to get it done. Because even with not what not too many uh, weeks left in the season, they still scratching the con to get that fourth in at least championship. Yeah, I think the Phillies might be scratching themselves right now, going, "How in the world did we lose four to Arizona?" They're sitting here two and a half out uh, of the East, but that's not the Braves' fault. I think, BJ, if you win tomorrow, that's three and a half. So even if Phillies win the next two, you can't go into the final weekend down. It still rests on your shoulders to take care of business. We'll talk more about that coming up uh, in just a little bit. Take three around the corner, three and out here on this Monday. We'll take a look at the ACC, which is who knows uh, what it's doing right now. Also, the Falcons get their first win of the season there at the buzzer. We'll look at that coming up in just a little bit. But first, well, let's take three here on three and out. All right, fellas, take one. What is your confidence level that the Braves make the playoffs? Up two and a half with six games to go. All right, this may surprise you guys given the, you know, my history in terms of optimism and pessimism with the Atlanta Braves, but I feel really good, Kevin. I'm going to say about 80%. Uh, so eight out of 10, I I think you were in a couple of really tight spots against the Padres, right? Where had you lost, I mean, we're talking about a major difference in a win or loss uh, here with a two and a half game lead and a head to head series coming up, <clears throat> excuse me, with Philadelphia. <clears throat> uh, excuse me. I think, I think 80%, I, I feel very confident. I like the way this offense is playing. I like the way the starting pitching lines up for the series against Philadelphia. Uh, you were able to kind of manage it so that you're going to have your top guys go uh, coming up starting tomorrow. So I feel good. I think Atlanta should feel good about being at home, about having the momentum of what they just did, about having a couple of game lead, not quite as much of a uh, immediate sense of pressure as what's on uh, Philadelphia. So I'm going to say eight out of ten. I'm extremely confident because I think this Braves team is battle tested. I mean, we look at we look at where they are right now. Kevin and BJ, we forget what it took to get to this point. I mean, I don't know if we ever had a team to go win, loss, win, loss, win, loss, win, loss before before the All Star break or the trade deadline. And it's not like these, it's not like the Braves aren't playing, you know, good competition. I mean, San Diego this weekend, it's not like they were slouches. I, I'm very, very confident in this team. And Kevin, I know you don't like what gives me confidence is ugly, very stressful. But Will Smith is actually doing his job now. He makes it a lot more suspenseful than he has to, but. Why wouldn't I have confidence in a team that did all it could to maintain it? But Kevin, you always say, just put yourself in a position to be in position when when it, you know when the games finally count. And they have. They Right now, they're in first place. So, extremely confident in this team. And yes, I get very, very nervous when old Will Smith runs out of the mound. I mean, unfortunately, Kevin, for us, that you know that's our punishment for 2021. We got to deal with Will Smith, but I'm still extremely confident. I, I do feel good because of the way this team hits the ball, but uh, you know, this Philly series is the ultimate test of that Braves philosophy of just win two out of three. It, you know, don't get freaked out if you lose the first one. Just win two out of three, and it'll take care of itself heading into the final weekend against the Mets. And hopefully you don't need that Colorado game at all, and you can just get ready for it for the postseason. But I, I, I don't know if I should feel nervous because BJ doesn't feel nervous. That makes me nervous. That BJ, the glass is half to almost empty. Bennett is like, I'm confident. That makes me nervous, Ben. Yes, it should. It should, <laughs> make, it should make you nervous, Kevin, because BJ, listen, listen. 
BJ feeling a little arrogant about these braids, man. I mean, why why wouldn't he, right? BJ, like, look, I've seen him. I know, and, and and we'll see though. Like that's before this series. Now BJ has he can change his mind starting starting with game one against these Phillies. But right now BJ's confident. I'm extremely confident, and Kevin is nervous. I'll take that that I'll take that and win the rest of the Kevin, if they lose game one, I'll be in full meltdown mode, and that should make you feel better. There you go. Oh, here it goes. No. Moving along, take two. Have we seen a more impressive turnaround in college football than what we've seen from Sam Pittman? Not too long ago, North Texas beat Arkansas by four touchdowns. Yeah, and, and they were talking about a you know a, a multi-year losing streak in conference play as well. Uh, I think Sam Pittman's done a great job, and uh, you you look at the way they've done it. Brooks Austin talking about you have veterans, you have seniors who have been there a while. Uh, you have a quarterback that's making plays. You have a receiver that's dynamic. You have one of the best defenses in the league. What I mean by that is they're not winning with just one thing. They're winning with uh, balance, and I think that's the sign of a really impressive team that you can win a variety of different ways. You can win a low-scoring game. You can win a high-scoring game. You can win with your rushing attack. You can win with your passing attack. And I think that's the sign of a good coach, too. In terms of uh, other turnarounds, I mean, Georgia Southern made history not long ago with Chad Lunsford, so I think that's got to be at the top of any list when you think about turnarounds and uh, coaches taking a team from not being in a good place to being in a much better place. Uh, Chad Lunsford and Georgia Southern made history. I'll also stay there in the uh, in the Sun Belt and look at Coastal Carolina. In 2019, Coastal Carolina lost seven games in the regular season. In 2020, Coastal Carolina lost zero games in the regular season and moved into the national top 10. So uh, for me, when I think about turnarounds, yes. Uh, uh, Sam Pittman, what he's done with Arkansas, but I'll think about uh, Chad Lunsford and Georgia Southern and uh, Jamie Chadwell at Coastal Carolina as well. Oh, man. I, 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 it's, it's a manner in which Sam Pittman is doing it. And let's face it, when you in the SEC West, you know, uh, and, and you're not going to get talked about a lot. I mean, when, you, when we talk about Sam Pittman, him getting a, his first his first job, I mean, his first coaching game uh, came against Georgia. He get an all-SEC uh, schedule. I mean, I, I, I just think it's really, 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 really impressive, Kevin and BJ, because it's what it says about him as a, it's what it says about him as a man first and a coach second. You got to get the buy-in. To get Felipe Franks to come over from Florida, because Felipe had his pick of the litter. He could have went anywhere. Sam Pippen said, look, come over here to Arkansas, man. And look, and you get a little revenge game. You get to go back to Florida. That's a selling point. So one, he's earned that from from he's earned that from new players and, and established players on his current team and, and, a, and, a, and a team like Florida. You look at what he's done this year with Texas and Texas AM, that means that he's not just saying one thing in, in press conferences. They're actually going out there and doing it for him. Once you get your players, to go out there and win for you because they know what you mean to them. That's very, that's very, very impressive. I do agree, BJ, with Georgia Southern and uh, Coastal Carolina, but they ain't got Alabama every year. They ain't got LSU every year. They ain't got Auburn every year. They ain't got Ole Miss every year. And I'm not saying that the, that the Sun Belt ain't the fun belt. And I'm not saying uh, that those guys don't play big time competition. But I mean, Sam Pivot is a, I mean, he was known as a, a, a offensive line guru. And he, he got a first head coach job. People say, why Arkansas? Well, now you see it. Now, we don't know how it's going to end up, but to be talking about Arkansas nationally, they top 10, that, that got, that's got to say a lot. So, yeah, I mean, shout out to those other schools, but what Arkansas is doing and Sam Pimmons at the helm of it, man, I mean, it shows that one man will make the difference, not just the players, 
Well, shout out to Sam Pittman of Arkansas Boys. Yeah, I think that's an uh, interesting question there because, like you said, uh, Chad Lunsford and Georgia Southern, the biggest turnaround I think we've seen from two wins to ten wins over the course of one offseason, albeit if you want to juxtapose it against something that was not against, obviously, a predominantly SEC schedule at the Power 5 level, but I think it's got to be right up there. And to be fair, you still got to finish with this SEC schedule. They've got two big wins, but when you get into the West, if you only win maybe one of the remaining SEC West games, well, is that still the turnaround we're talking about right now? So, uh, yeah, I think pretty impressive. I think still got a little ways to go to fully get them there, but man, it's been been fun to watch. Take three. Who now, we ask this just about every week, who now is your current Heisman hopeful after this last week's round of games? Yeah, early, uh, very early still, but I think you're talking about Bryce Young for me, and I've seen a lot of I've seen a lot of stories about Matt Corral being the potentially the front runner, and absolutely, Matt Corral's been fantastic. Here's what's interesting: you guys know that I'm a big fan of the passer rating metric. Bryce Young's passer rating is 188.52. Matt Corral's is 187.71. So for all the data, they're separated by one point, and they are fifth and sixth, respectively, in the national polls. So uh, you could go either way, but I just think Bryce Young right now, uh, he has 15 passing touchdowns and one interception. That's a pretty remarkable ratio, especially when you consider he's completing over 72% of his passes, and he's done it against, I know Miami's not been great, but you still did it against a preseason national uh, top 25 team in Miami, and you went to Gainesville and faced top 10 Florida, and I know people say, oh, he wasn't great there. Well, he still threw for 242 yards and three touchdowns. So I think Bryce Young has done it against two nationally ranked teams, including a top 10 team, and he's done it. I think this is a key point in the shadows of some of the greatest quarterbacks in college football history. So you got to replace Hurts and Tua and, and Jones. You just come right in and do it. He's been spectacular. I do think we need to give a shout out and give a glance to Grayson McCall at Coastal Carolina. And it does feel like you have to play at a certain number of schools to be considered for the Heisman Trophy. But right now, Grayson McCall's passer rating is 213.8. That is on par to be a new single-season college football record. That would break Matt Jones's record for proficiency. And right now, Grayson McCall is leading the nation in completion percentage, leading the nation in yards per attempt. That would be a new single-season college football record as well, as he is at 12.3. He also has a couple of uh, rushing touchdowns as well. So my favorite is Bryce Young, but we need to give some respect to Grayson McCall at Coastal Carolina. Grayson McCall is, is a good is a good pick, and I do and I do respect Matt Corral. But with all due respect, it is Bryce Young, and it's not even close. Because of everything you said, BJ, and he's at the gold standard. I mean, you talk about this winning streak. That's not something that that, that we that we see too much of anymore. Why? Because somebody comes through. They got the longest winning streak right now, and he's keeping that that's going. He's trying to be the first, the first ever Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback for Alabama. And I think about that. You mentioned Tua. You mentioned Jalen. You mentioned Matt Jones. You mentioned guys. You know, uh, I mean, with Karen and those guys. None of these, as great as those teams were, never had a Heisman Trophy winner at, at, at quarterback. I mean, the first ever Heisman Trophy winner was uh, Ingram. Then you got, uh, obviously, uh, uh, Henry. And obviously, uh, Devonta Smith last year. But Bryce Young is just going about his business. Like, while everybody else, we're talking about the upsets, we're talking about who is not top 10, who's not playing well. Bryce Young, first start, the Mercedes Benz against the Eric King in Miami. Okay, let's do it. 
goes to the swamp, hostile environment, let's do it. And he gets, and 50, if, I'm gonna just say this, if DJU was 15 and one right now, we losing our freaking mind. If JT Davis is 15 and one right now, we going crazy. Right, Young said, look, I, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna talk a whole lot. I'm just gonna go out there and get it done. I understand what it is uh, here at Alabama. And while everybody below us, especially even though Georgia's ranked number two, they might be the best team in the country. I'm, I'm, we winning because of him, not in spite of him. So yes, it is Bryce Young. And did I say every game he wins, he's only building more confidence, which is only gonna be scary for the competition down the road. It's amazing how quickly it changes in just four weeks. DJU, Heisman hopeful. He's kind of off the radar now. Spencer Rattler having to hold on against West Virginia. He's kind of sliding off the radar now. JT Daniels, Heisman favorite. Not necessarily the front runner right now. Not his fault, but he's only playing like a quarter or a half a ball game. So I think it is Bryce Young uh, right now as your Heisman front runner. I, I, I understand Grayson McCall, but I think also what's going to come back to bite him is their schedule's like 125th in the country. So what kind of competition is he doing it against? Last year, you could say, hey, look, you're playing Liberty, you're playing BYU. You don't have some of that on your schedule. He's putting up really sick numbers against competition. He's supposed to be putting up really sick numbers against. So I understand that, but I think that's going to hurt him. I think I think some of it will depend, too. And, and you know, he's probably not going to be among the top front runners, but I think some of the national perception of could he be a contender will come down to can you have a showcase game against uh, Appalachian State? Can you have a showcase game against, you know, a team that might be in that others receiving votes category uh, in the top 25? But, yeah, I think we all pretty much agree right now what Bryce Young is doing is absolutely incredible. And because of the success of his predecessors, we're probably not fully appreciating all that he's doing. He's having a remarkable start to his career. That's take three. We'll see. We'll see. Now you go ahead, you go ahead Gavin. I was going to say, that's take three. We do it each day at this time. We'll come back. We're talking college football. If you can explain to me what in the world happening in the ACC, let's all take a trip to Vegas because nobody else can figure it out. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back. Three and out. The ACC. Who can figure this out? I mean, the, the Clemson Tigers came into the season, been to the playoffs six straight years, won the league six straight years, played a tough game against Georgia, and people said, look, that's a clash of titans. And since then, we have not really seen a Clemson Tigers performance that kind of make you go, wow. That looks like, I mean, Georgia Tech played them very close, had them on the ropes. They actually lose to NC State this week. And that's just some of the crazy things happening in, in the ACC. Right now, your front runners are NC State, Wake, and Boston College in terms of the teams, maybe Virginia Tech in there, but in terms of the teams that are out there at the top of the conference, not who people were projecting in the offseason. And I was wrong, you know, about this Clemson team. I said on Friday I thought this would be kind of a get-right game where offensively you see more of what we expected to see, and we did not. Um NC State has a really good defense, but Clemson continues to be completely out of sorts on offense. And keep in mind, they lost this game, a low-scoring game, in a contest where NC State missed three, including a potential game winner at the end of regulation. So if NC State is more effective in in, in special teams on, on uh, you know some of their kicks, maybe this game isn't even as close as we saw it. But credit NC State 
They are probably – here's what's interesting, Kevin. They are probably the favorite in the ACC Atlantic, even though Wake Forest and Boston College are both undefeated because Wake Forest and Boston College still have to play Clemson. Now, this is clearly not last year's Clemson or the Clemson we've become accustomed to seeing uh, uh, under Davo Swinney, but, but, but I still think it's a talented team. But I wanted to go back to this and get y'all's thoughts on this because, Kevin, this is a theory that you had a decade ago that one of the problems with the ACC, right or wrong, is that public perception of the ACC largely depends on how the traditional powers are doing. And if you look at the traditional powers in the ACC right now, Florida State is terrible. Lost to Louisville on Saturday. Miami is not good. And Clemson is, I mean, this sounds crazy to say, given that it we're four games in, but are they the worst? We've seen them in a decade, uh, you know, potentially. Miami, Florida State, Clemson, all down or down-ish in the form of Clemson. And who's who's leading the way in the ACC? Boston College is 4-0. Wake Forest is 4-0. Syracuse is 3-1. Georgia Tech just had a huge win. Pitt is 3-1. Virginia Tech is 3-1. Duke, Duke is 3-1. So how do you balance, Ben, getting the ACC credit for Wake Forest, Boston College, Duke, Syracuse being better while also saying, man, your leading names are really struggling. Is there a balance there? I think that is balance. I think the problem with, I think the problem with most things is we don't want to let go of what is. If Clemson was a middle-of-the-road program and they was doing what they was doing this year, we would talk about them as a middle-of-the-road program. No, we can give credit that Clemson has been the front-runner. They're just having a down year. Like, BJ, you you were shocked that Clemson looked how they've been looking, not how they've been looking years before, how they've looked this year. We thought that the Georgia-Clemson game, like, man, something wrong with Clemson. No, no, maybe they – and then Georgia Tech proved, no, no, our defense can expose them too. They get to North Carolina State. We need to get we need to we need to let the narrative shape itself week in and week out and not get caught up in preseason narrative. Georgia Tech dominated North Carolina, dominated them. Like, if you're going to take a home game from us, we got them to go to Mercedes-Benz, and them all blues was nice this weekend, by the way. They dominated them. BJ. We need to start saying, no, BC's 4-0. Wake is 4-0. Pitt's 3-1. Duke is 3-1. Virginia Tech 3-1. Not. Miami's not good. Guess what? Yeah. Miami hasn't been good for a long time. Miami's been the one ACC championship game. One. They haven't been good for a long time. Clemson is having a down year. So that means if somebody's down, who's up? Who's playing? Who's playing up? Because I think that – I don't know who we was uh, interviewing, uh, Kevin and BJ. Somebody said Clemson is a year or two away of going back to just mediocrity. We don't want to believe that because they're going to have top five recruits. And I don't think that's what's happening. Just give credit to the ones who are playing well. Now that Georgia Tech loss against Clemson looks more impressive because they had back-to-back solid weeks against two high-powered – well, one high-powered offense. I don't know if Clemson's high-powered offense. I, and BJ, I mean, Justin Ross, we thought that he was going to just click back on to what he did two years ago. I think I think we we – let's face it. We are creatures of the best teams in the country. And when the best teams in the country – Ain't fitting what we thought they were going to do. We were like, man, what's going on with Clemson? They getting beat. They getting beat by teams. If I'm Georgia Tech, I get sick of hearing about Clemson. If I'm NC State, I get sick of hearing about Clemson. And they, and they got them circling on the, on, the, on the schedule. So I think the ACC, while it didn't go the way we thought, I said I looked at Georgia Tech as a team last week against Clemson. And I see what they, they put it all together. Against them. So when people say, hey, man, what can Georgia Tech look like they put it all together? Did you see on Saturday? 
I mean, North Carolina was like, let's hurry up and get the hell up out of here because outside of a block punt, that's all North Carolina did. They made Sam Howell look pedestrian. They shut down the run game. And Georgia Tech, Sims, listen, the law offices of Sims and Gibbs was open for business, and you could not do nothing with those guys all week. So I think that maybe, maybe, maybe we should just let the the storyline develop through the game and don't go back to four weeks ago because Clemson showed us week one, offense is bad. We thought it was ben, the ben, But Ben, think about this because I don't, I, Kevin. I don't think there's enough appreciation uh, of the depreciation we've seen with 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 Clemson's offense. I'm looking at it right now. Right now, Clemson is 121st in the nation in total offense at 295 yards per game. Just for point of reference, so we understand what we're talking about. Vanderbilt is 123rd, so Clemson is two spots ahead of Vanderbilt. In the total offense rankings, how do you, how do we explain this? I think I think it's quite simple. I mean, we we look at we look, we we think that just because they got five stars next to their name, they're going to just be just replace them. It's going to be fine. No, the quarterback the quarterback in that Clemson has been elite, not good. It has been elite. Even with Kelly Bryant, it didn't drop off. With DJU, because of when we saw him, BJ, we thought, oh, man, we saw him one game against against uh, Notre Dame. He also had Travis Etienne. He also had a defense. He also had a bunch of veterans around him. It is different when you got to run the show. We don't appreciate how great Trevor Lawrence was at just running the show and keeping everything, keeping everything on schedule. And let's just call it what it is. Clemson just not good offensively this year. They just not. I don't know why it is. We can't put our finger on it, but that's why we don't even need to get caught up in these rankings. It's all about development because the one thing that Clemson did do, they developed the players that they had. They don't, you don't see a whole bunch of transfer portal guys at Clemson. They, they, they recruit them, they get them in, they develop them, and they win. Well, guess who else is doing that? Georgia Tech, NC State, Duke, Wake, BC. If I'm going to give credit to the top dog, I'm going to give credit to everybody else with the top dog. Somebody got to take the reins. BJ, we learned this last year with North Carolina, right? They don't really do well when everybody's watching. They don't don't really handle that well. And the thing about Miami, like I said, one ACC championship appearance since they've been to the ACC. I mean, so I'm I'm not going to take nothing. If I'm going to give credit to Clemson when they balling, to North Carolina when they balling, to Miami when they balling, I'm going to give credit to Georgia Tech, to NC State, to Virginia Tech, to Wake, to BC, to Duke. Because maybe the ACC is changing in front of our eyes and maybe we have an problem with accepting reality. And as long as we keep on doing this, it's going to be, yeah, man, Clemson dogs. But, no, Clemson dogs because they got beat, period, move on, end story. Oh, BJ, I did want to ask you about uh, Georgia Tech there. North Carolina, preseason, they were the contender in the Coastal to go to the ACC championship game. Georgia Tech beats them. What do you see from, from Jeff Collins? And people say, look, Northern Illinois was bad. All right. You rebounded. Took care of a game you were supposed to win, did it easily, played Clemson close. And a lot of people said, well, is that just you played Clemson close? Then you turn around and take on a top 25 North Carolina team and leave no doubt against them. Is this a team that maybe had to put some embarrassment behind them to move forward? And we always joke about the ACC Coastal as nobody figuring it out. I mean, do they feel like they have as much acclaim potentially to that as anybody else right now? Absolutely. Yes. And what did we see Saturday night? We saw absolute dominance along the defensive line and great play from Jeff Sims. You know, Sims was injured uh, earlier in the year, was back healthy. Talk about proficiency, guys. 
He was 10 of 13 for 112 yards and a passing touchdown, then had 128 rushing yards and three rushing touchdowns. That's getting it done. Sims was great, but I think the story of, of the game was the defensive line. And keep in mind, Georgia Tech overwhelmed a North Carolina offensive line that brought five starters back, You know, in addition to Sam Howell. Georgia Tech had eight sacks on Saturday. That's their most in a game since 2007. Georgia Tech had 13 tackles for loss on Saturday. That's their most in a game since 2008. And I know a lot of people have said, oh, well, North Carolina's offensive line just isn't that good. That's not true. Just for point of reference, entering Saturday, North Carolina had given up 15 tackles for loss all season in their three games. Georgia Tech had 13 on Saturday. Uh, Quez Jackson, Charlie Thomas were all over the field. Andrew Thacker's defense was confusing and frustrating Sam Howell. Uh, look, if you have good quarterback play and you have a dominant defensive line, you can win just about any game on your schedule. And I think Georgia Tech, yeah, you had a couple of, you know, couple of tough moments against Northern Illinois, but I think this has definitely been a team to keep an eye on in the Coastal. Northern Illinois benefited from the time they played Georgia Tech, not that they played Georgia Tech. If, no, if Northern Illinois played Georgia Tech right now, they win. They got they got Georgia Tech early. The, listen, listen, the hardest two things to develop in football, the hardest two things is buying in and confidence. And that's all Georgia Tech was lacking. It took something for them to buy in. Georgia Tech beats Clemson if they bought in the confidence because they're saying, look, man, no, forget what, listen, you got to get past this big, bad Clemson. No. Y'all was in the game the whole game, and then when it was time to call the play on offense, he called a shovel pass. If I'm the tight end of Georgia Tech, I'm saying, what? I'm going to run it, but I'm like, we're going to do All right, I'm going to do it. Guess what happened this week? Guess what North Carolina didn't benefit from? They didn't benefit from a team that didn't come in that wasn't confident. From the opening, Dick, most times you give up a special team's uh, debacle, like they, they had a block punt. That's the, only, that's the only highlight I remember North Carolina having. So shout out to them Georgia Tech boys. The last thing you want to do, is wake up them Georgia Tech boys because they they keep on playing like that. Gibbs is about as good as it gets. This kid every time he touches the ball and Sims playing with that type of confidence with that defensive line, BJ. I'm telling you, we are gonna be talking about Georgia Tech. And that's why you don't get rid of a coach. Why he's developing the program because this is this this is when you play the best team in the conference and and a team that was picked to the two teams they were supposed to be in the AC championship game. They played them back to back weeks and they should have beat them both. We've got more to come here. Three now. Well, look at the Falcons. Speaking of should have beat. They should have beat the Giants, and they did. They got their first win uh, of the year. We'll get to that next. Since Dub, first time we've been able to say that on a Monday all season long, BJ and Ben, and Young Way Koo with the game winner as time expired, 17-14 over the Giants. Much needed uh, victory for Atlanta new coaching staff. And with all the talk about the offensive line and what this offense was or wasn't doing uh, in the first couple of weeks, I mean, 17 points in the NFL anymore isn't necessarily all that much. But a better effort offensively from Atlanta than we've seen, especially in the clutch. Well, you absolutely, absolutely had to have it. I mean, you you had to have this win, and you got it. And I'm 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 looking at social media. I think a lot of Falcons fans are still kind of not overly optimistic about the immediate future. But you got the win, and at the end of the day, whether you win thirty-four to seven or seventeen to fourteen, it's a win. And then you were talking about confidence earlier. Uh, with college teams, I mean, how much of that, I think it still applies some at the professional level where, especially when you have a new regime, a new head coach, and you're looking around going, are we on the right track? Are we going to, and you win a game. Sometimes you have to win a game ugly. Sometimes you have to find a way and that can build some confidence. But Kev, you mentioned Youngway Koo. I mean, he he's as good as it gets in the National Football League. Uh, he is a great player for the Falcons. 
and he was the difference. You know, had the game-winning kick, but you, you had to get that win. You got it, and I think that's something you can build on if you're Atlanta. When I'm talking about confidence in the buy-in, that's that's football one-on-one. That's before you ever even get into the game plan. That's before you ever get into the X and O's. The best teams are bought in, and the best teams play with confidence. Nate, I mean, I mean, I mean. So when you think about this Atlanta team, Arthur Smith, new coach, he has a, he has a certain philosophy that he wants to play with. Hard nose type guy. Well, you want to see that reflection of his team in, in, in his team play. Now, make no mistake about it. This was a scratch and claw game. This was a back and forth game, all game. It's not like Atlanta ever like felt confident about it. But getting the first win is always a, getting the first win is like getting it's like getting that four for one. It's the hardest thing to do in football. But once you do it, you go back and look at okay, how much of this game was me playing within the scheme, and how much of this thing was me trying to improvise outside of the scheme. That's why you start breaking down. You got two teams that are very very similar in what they were trying to do. I do think Saquon Barkley is the best running back in the game. Matty Ice was the best quarterback in the game. You got a defense in the Giants. They got a lot, a lot of young players. You got a defense with the with the Falcons. They got a got a lot of you know uh, young and veteran players. But they scratched and clawed. The hardest thing to do in the NFL is win. Period. I don't care who you playing. Every team is good enough to beat you, regardless of what the record is. But you got two teams that are both trying to figure out their identity. I don't know if Atlanta figured it out on Sunday. I don't know what the hell going on with the Giants or the Jets. Neither one of those. It's just rough. I hope to do the, do the Atlanta play the Jets. Had to check their freaking schedule to see. They might get another dub. But they got the win. See, it's much easier to come to work when you win because you evaluate the tape that you know what the ending looks like. When you lose those games, it's we lost to the Giants. And, and I know and I know it wasn't nothing to go home about, but they did get the win. And I think with Arthur Smith, just like any first-year head coach, is understanding that just because I got the better quarterback or I got a veteran-related team, my – I have a I have a receiver at freaking running back. Like Cordell Patterson is leading the lead and leading uh, Atlanta in rushing right now, and not Mike Davis. I understand that everybody wants to see uh you know Kyle Pitts go out there and rip it up. It's hard for him to figure out the game right now because you can't be a one trick pony until you I mean in the NFL coming from a guy who was not the best blocker myself, but you want to be more of a complete tight end. But they they did get the win. It wasn't pretty. But ugly football that leads to wins is football. And Atlanta got in the win column. So at least for now, they want to know they completed the task for one week. Now they got to move on uh, to week five. Yeah, and again, it's going to be, I, I think, interesting to see how this Falcons team continues to progress. Because, again, you got a dub against a team that also hadn't won a game yet uh, in the New York Giants. And Matt Ryan having to fit some balls into some very, very tight windows. Where are you at here with this? I guess, new look Falcons offense and what they're actually able to do. I mean, I'm still taking a wait and see approach because the results have not been great. And I do agree with you, Ben, the end of the day, a win is a win. And I do think it's progress for everybody, including an offense that scored just 17 points. I mean, give credit to the defense. You might say your takeaway from this game, maybe Atlanta only scored two touchdowns against the Giants. Well, they only gave up 14 points and that's why they won. So, We've been very critical of this defense over the last couple of years. I know it was the Giants. You're not talking about, you know, playing the Ravens or the Chiefs or the Packers, but you still did what you had to do and you won the game. But offensively, I think I think it's still a work in progress. Ben, you've made this point, and I think it's a viable one. Cordero Patterson, good player, versatile player, probably has been one of the best specialists in the league over the last decade. But 
kind of where are you if your leading rusher is more of a wide receiver or a return specialist? Do you not trust your offensive line enough to commit to kind of a downfield running game? Where are you in terms of the downfield passing game? I know Kyle Pitts is now getting a little more involved, but he hasn't been a huge focal point yet. The big plays have not been there. Now, you know, uh, you've seen some other guys step up. I think Alameda Zacchaeus had a touchdown yesterday. But what about getting the ball to Ridley? What about spreading the field? What about balance? Uh, Is this a team under Arthur Smith that still wants to run the ball like they did in Tennessee? I know you don't have Derrick Henry, but if you want to build the pass off of the run, why isn't Mike Davis getting more touches? Why isn't he an early part of the game plan? So I'm sure Atlanta and everybody on that offense still trying to learn as we go, but I'm still I'm still taking a wait-and-see approach here. Calvin, this is Calvin Ridley's first time being the number one receiver on the NFL franchise that uh, Julio Jones is, is, is not going to bail him out. He he is the number one. Kyle Pitts is a rookie who has incredible upside, but he's still a rookie trying to figure out the game. Mike Davis, they see him all during during the week, and every time I look at the box score, I am not looking at how many how many yards he had. I'm looking at how many carries he had, and it's usually behind Cordell Patterson. So maybe it's something about Cordell Patterson in open field, and Cordell is a lot bigger than Michael. There's like 6'2", about 220. I mean, Mike Davis about 5'10", about 210. So I'm not I'm not so worried about the offense. I saw Grady Jarrett in that defense looking real good yesterday. Regardless of who you do it against, it's, it has to work. But – the thing about the offense is, as long as Maddie, no, no, forget that. As long as the Atlanta Falcons have been and franchise, they've been known for the offense. I'm not taking that away from Tuggle or Keith Brookin or Jamal. You know, I mean, I mean, none of them. They're gonna be known by their offense. Maddie Ice, he's getting better with this new offense, and I just think that they're gonna have to go through some growing pains. Tampa got beat. Surprise, surprise. They could be beat, even though it's against the freaking Rams. They could be beat. So I just think that when you look at this division, it's gonna come down to how 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 comfortable this offensive line is. Obviously, they're gonna be they're gonna be known as a pass first, run second offense. And who's gonna establish themselves as solid number two? Calvin really, when he gets the ball in his hands, the man is nice. When he's getting double cover, who's gonna be that solid number two? I know Kyle Pitts got drafted number four. That don't mean you're gonna get off his rookie of the year. That means you're the highest drafted tight end in the NFL history. Guess what? They play defense in the NFL as well. Kyle Pitts, I think he, he has been making strides, but I'm just looking for who's gonna be that solid number two. And if Cordell is the best we got at running the ball. Run the ball with Cordell. He got that big 8-4 on his chest. You can't miss him. But, yeah, man, I, you, you'll just take the win, take the lumps, because they'll get better as the year goes on. we got more to come here on 3 and Out, including talk about BJ's Jaguars, who never cease to amaze. We'll leave it at that. we got more to come. Three. Good to have you here on this Monday, Kevin, BJ, and Ben. And, BJ, before we talk about your Jaguars, I, I think Michael DeRocco, who we've had on the show a number of times, kind of summed it up best. So I'm just going to read his tweet. And let's you respond to it. Jaguars had a 109-yard kick six for a touchdown. That they, they converted. DeAndre Hopkins, they held him to three catches on 21 yards. The Cardinals were one of nine on third down. The Jags got a turnover for us. Great. Had a nine-point lead in the third quarter. And still lost. And lost by double digits, <laughs> and, and then turned away. You know, you know, turned around in forty-eight hours and traded a top-ten draft pick in his second season. Now, if you missed that, Jaguars trading C.J. Henderson to Carolina. So, before I get into what happened on Sunday, you in the past month, if you're Jacksonville, have traded away a Pro Bowl linebacker in Joe Schobert, have traded away a starting corner 
in CJ in uh, in uh, Sidney Jones and have now traded away a top ten draft pick in year two at corner in CJ Henderson. Some of that stuff kind of hard for me to understand there. But yeah, everything with the Jaguars is just strange, man. I mean, you mentioned yesterday Jamal Agnew had one of the most exciting plays I've seen in recent NFL history. He he pulled a Chris Davis. He caught a missed field goal and took it to the house in an NFL game, like 108 or 109 yards. Absolutely incredible. I mean, great play by Agnew. And I know a lot of people aren't following the Jaguars, but Agnew last week had a kick return for a touchdown. So he is straight up balling. I mean, he's been he's been a superstar. Okay, so we go to late in the third quarter. Less than two minutes left in the third quarter. Jacksonville's leading 19 to 10. Why not 21 to 10? Well, Josh Lambeau missed consecutive extra points. That's kind of what I'm getting at with everything's weird with the Jaguars. And then you give up two touchdowns in a span of less than a minute. One on a touchdown run from Arizona by James James Conner. And I don't know if you guys saw the, 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 the replay of this. For some reason, Jacksonville tried to run a flea flicker, and it turned into a pick six. And the whole play was just a disaster. Um, if you watch, the, and we got some clarification from press conference today that this was the plan. Andrew Norwell was told to do this. If you go watch the replay, Andrew Norwell, who is the Jaguars' starting left guard, when the ball is snapped, he literally spins around in a circle. Like he does a complete 360 and spins around kind of with his arms out. And everybody's going, what in the... And I saw on Sunday people just like talking about the clip, it going viral. Well, today apparently he was supposed to do that. That was a part of the confusion of the play. Well, the play resulted in a pick six. And then Arizona scored again, and you lost by 12. So I'm just looking at the Jaguars, man. I, I don't know what they're doing with the trades. I don't know what they're doing with some of the play calls. I thought defensively you were better. Uh, Trevor Lawrence is going to have some is going to have some games where he throws picks. I think he has six interceptions now. Ben, that's going to happen for a rookie. You finally gave the ball to James Robinson. Some he did a nice job, but everything with Jacksonville is just weird. Nothing is more weird than the simple fact that you go to a press conference and they're asked why did why did Andrew Norwell why is he out there you know pirouetting out there on the field? Oh, that's what he was supposed to do. Yeah, that's what I pay left guards to do to go out there and pirouette. You're not you run you run trick plays right when your team is trying to get back into the game. This this is why it's got to be frustrating. Kyler Murray, who's probably top five right now, you know, MVP voting, had zero touchdowns in a pick. You held DeAndre Hopkins at under 30 yards receiving. Now, you didn't really have your way with uh, A.J. Green. He probably had his best game in a long time, over 100 and some yards. But as long as it ain't lighting up the scoreboard, James Conner had two touchdowns. Jacksonville lacks what I just said Georgia Tech has. That's confidence. You know how I know? You got you got you got grown men pirouetting on the football field. <laughs> if I'm Andrew Norwell, I'm thinking, what the hell is this? You you y'all really want me to do this? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's like the dude you know that was facing the other way, or the dude that just they snapped the ball. He's not moving. No, no, you don't ask me to do it. I'm, hey Ben, we need you to pirouette. Not doing it. That's ridiculous. Then it's a pick six. Then when you talk about BJ being nineteen ten, all right, nineteen ten, call the timeout. It's like it's like it's like basketball. Look. Listen, you up, we up by twenty. Other team went on a, a ten, a, you know, a ten zero run. Well, time out. Let's just let's just stop the momentum for a second. All right, we up nineteen ten. Let's breathe for a second. No, hey man, now let's try to do the flea flick. What the hell? Let's do it right now. All right, Andrew, you know what you got? Yeah, man. Make sure you turn to the left during the three. You went to the all right. Make sure you put your arms out. I don't know what my arms out. Is this supposed to be a distraction? Like the D line is supposed to go up. 
Oh, he do it. He do. No, that's stupid. That no, that's what that is. That's ridiculous. It, they said that Urban Meyer after one game went up to the other head coach. That man, it's like playing Alabama every week. No, no, it's like playing in the NFL every week. Like you're gonna have to play for four quarters. You're gonna have to have a game plan. First, second, third, and fourth, and make halftime adjustments. Not pure wets. Andrew Noel went home and told his wife and kids, "I'm sorry, sweetie." It was a play call. I was supposed to do this spin thing. I was supposed to put my hand on the top of my head and do like a little, you know, like ballerina thing. No, that's ridiculous. Like, that has nothing to do with football. Yet, you, you find yourself losing 31 to 19 when you could have won that game against a team in Arizona who's definitely very, who's probably in the hardest division of football in the NFC West. Yeah, we've got more to come. We'll talk more about that. Certainly, as we go on, we'll get to the good, the bad, and the ugly from the college football weekend. Look at the weekend that was in the SEC as well. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here, three and out on this Monday. Kevin, BJ, and Ben, a lot to get to this hour. We'll look at the weekend that was in the SEC. We'll look at certainly a big week coming up of college football this week with three top 15 matchups head-to-head going up uh, this weekend. And the very latest there with Georgia Southern and Chad Lunsford, uh, who was let go yesterday after a loss to Louisiana. That being said, let's get to the good, the bad, the ugly. We do it every Monday here on the show. And here we go. What was the good, BJ and Ben, from the weekend that was? Yeah, I think for me, I think about two teams in particular, uh, Georgia Tech and Arkansas. Georgia Tech, uh, some of the fan base very frustrated, even with a better performance against Clemson and Questions of when are we going to get a big win? Well, you got it, and you got it in a big way. Georgia Tech did not just beat North Carolina. They overwhelmed North Carolina. Quarterback Jeff Sims, four total touchdowns. He was by far the better quarterback on the field yesterday in a matchup with Sam Howell. Georgia Tech's defensive line, uh, Charlie Thomas, I think, had four and a half tackles for loss. These, These guys were absolutely dominating. So Georgia Tech, for one, Arkansas. They not only beat Texas A&M, they controlled that game, and they outgained Texas A&M by 175 total yards, roughly. So you're looking at an Arkansas team that played a top-10 opponent, that played the first team out of the college football playoff a year ago, and they had roughly 150 more total yards. Balanced team. Did it throwing the ball? Did it run in the football? Did it with defense? So I was really impressed with Arkansas. So for me, when I think about the good this weekend – Two teams stand out, Georgia Tech and Arkansas. To me, I think it is Arkansas, though, BJ, with everything you mentioned, but the simple fact that while we're sitting around waiting on the usual suspects to come back to the table, Arkansas, I said, listen, man, we sit down and we're here to eat. Traylon Burks is, might be the best uh, – he might be the best overall receiver in the country this year when you look at what he brings to this offense. The Arkansas team that has a lot of uh, – that has a lot of senior leadership, as we talked about early in the show. But Sam Pittman, I mean, the thing is – when you want to be a head coach in the SEC and you ain't a sexy name like Mike Leach, you know, you ain't a sexy name like Lane Kiffin or, you know, like a Jimbo Fisher, people always say, oh, that's just Arkansas. No, you might want to start taking notice of those Arkansas boys because they get it done on offense and defense and special teams. So for me, while I do love what Georgia Tech was able to do, I think that's a team that's building confidence for me. It is Arkansas. They are the good of the weekend because they now they're not – they said, who have you played? Oh, we played Texas and Texas A&M and we gave them both that air. Yeah, my good, I went with Georgia Tech for that reason. I uh, came close against Clemson, and I think a lot of people said, was that a moral victory or a sign of progress? And you came out this week and showed that it was a sign of progress. You beat a top 25 team in a neutral site in North Carolina, a team that preseason was projected 
to represent your side of the conference in the ACC championship game. I had them down as the good. What about the bad, BJ and Ben? I think North Carolina, and I, I, it was it was all the way around, and it's not just because of Saturday. Saturday was sort of a continuation. You know, North Carolina, if we go back to the preseason, they were in the top ten. There were national pundits saying the Tar Heels are a sleeper to make the college football playoff. I mean, preseason top ten is no joke. And, Ben, I know you said, hey, they don't always play their best when they're under the spotlight, and – they played Georgia Tech and Mercedes-Benz Stadium in a spotlight game on the big stage, prime time, and they were absolutely overwhelmed. Uh, North Carolina gave up eight sacks, gave up 13 tackles for loss, and gave up 45 points. Literally every area of the game, except for one block punt you referenced, Ben, you were, you were beaten soundly, so- offensively beaten soundly, defensively beaten soundly. And now, look, no shame in losing to Virginia Tech. You're going to lose games, but I, I, I think for a team that had at least potential college football playoff expectations to be sitting here at 500 is not where they wanted to be. And I think at this point, your expectations have gone from do we make the ACC championship game to do we make a bowl game? I mean, when games that are left on the schedule for North Carolina. And look, they can get hot. They can win four out of five, but you already have two division losses you almost surely aren't going to the ACC championship game. Uh, North Carolina, a major disappointment on Saturday night. For me, it's going to be these Heisman Trophy these uh, these Heisman Trophy uh, quarterbacks, or, or so be it. I mean, DJU, uh, Sam Howell, Spencer Rattler. I mean, I, I be trying to tell people this all the time. Preseason hype is real, especially when you talk about the accessibility to these players now. DJU has not looked like themselves since the opening day, since the opening game against Georgia. Sam Howe has proven that if you if I got to be the reason why we win, the stakes might be too high for me, man. I'm gonna give you some nice numbers. I'm gonna fill up a box score, but I, I can't be the reason why we win. Spencer Rattler, I mean, outside of potentially being the number one overall pick, I mean, this guy he'll throw the ball to you, he'll throw the ball to the other team, and. You know, the, the reason why I say it's bad is sometimes, you know, we start talking about these teams, they put these quarterbacks according to these postseason aspirations. UNC and Clemson supposed to be on the crash course in the ACC championship game. Well, that's probably not going to happen. Oklahoma, they always think they can beat you with quarterback and days. You know, you know, uh, uh, you know, Jalen Hurst and those guys, you talk about Kyler Murray, and the list goes on and on. So I think it's bad for those guys because if you don't think they're looking at these these clippers about themselves, the Twitter spheres of the world, it's kind of proven in their play. I mean, they asked Spencer Rattler after the game, did you hear the booze? He says, quote, I don't care about the fans. They don't play. Of course you care about them. You just am using them cheering for you and, and instead of booing for yourself. For me, the bad is these high my hopeful quarterbacks that, that seemingly week in and week out are having, a, you know, mediocre subpar type performance. Yeah, my bad. And maybe you guys have it as you're ugly, but uh, I, I'll put it in the bad category for right now, and that's Clemson. Clemson, a, uh, a title contender preseason, and this week, Against NC State, NC State's a good team. I'm not. I'll give them that. But you are a team that has been in the playoffs for six straight years and were projected to be there again. You had 214 yards in a game that went to overtime. 214 yards in a game that went to overtime. You had an alleged Heisman Trophy contender with 111 yards passing. You had 103 yards on the ground. Anybody care to guess who had nearly two-thirds of those 103 yards? Oh, that's right. That would be your quarterback running the football, who, by the way, everybody spent the entire offseason saying he's not a running quarterback. He throws that thing. 
111 yards passing, 66 yards rushing from your, quote, non-running quarterback, and you lost again. The bad, Clemson, because the longer this goes on, three against Georgia, didn't really do anything offensively against Georgia Tech, 21 points against NC State. At some point, it's you and your offense is bad. That is Clemson right there after four weeks of the, uh, the college football season. All right, now on to the ugly. I'm just going to go with Vanderbilt, and it's not because we – I mean, listen, I almost feel Kick bad. Kick them while they're that. down. I mean, I almost feel bad doing that because I know expectations weren't high for Vanderbilt, but we're not talking about losing to Georgia. We're not talking about getting blown out by Georgia. I mean, Georgia's, Georgia's dominating everybody, okay? But we're talking about – you guys know that I love looking at the box scores and the stats, and this one is just really hard to process. You had four first downs, uh, and Brooks Austin told us – earlier in the show that Georgia was playing their starters like on the third or fourth or or playing their second teamers in for their starters like on the third or fourth drive. So you you just really struggled. 77 yards of total offense. For me, and Kevin, you've been doing it, Ben, you've been, I, I can't think of an example of a game, even a game like Georgia versus Vanderbilt, where a team had less than 80 total yards. I mean, you had 24 yards passing. Uh, You had 24 yards passing. And I know for a while, people were talking about it on Twitter, saying that Georgia, for much of the game, had more points than Vanderbilt had yards. And listen, I think think Clark Lee, you got to give him time. I think Vanderbilt is a program that absolutely has potential. You have some really good players there. It's going to take time, and you can get back to a point where you're winning games in the SEC East. And I understand this is a completely rebuilding year. I, I, I clearly get that. But just to, just to barely kind of make an impact in the box score at all, some of those numbers are really startling. To me, the ugly, and I, and, I, and I hate to say this, I hate to pile on, but head coach job security. Let me tell you something. The days of waiting to the end of the season, mm-mm. They'll get rid of you right now. People thought what happened at USC was an anomaly. Mm-mm. Georgia Southern just got rid of their head coach. And look, it has less to do with what they it has less to do with the head coach and more to do with where they see this, where they see the program going. And listen, if you are at a historic university or college and you're supposed to be the one to take this team to the next level and you're not doing it, do not get comfortable. Do not get I hope you're renting. Because I'm telling you, what Georgia Southern just proved is what USC had everybody going crazy over. They trying to get back to the glory days. BJ and Kevin, we talked about in the state of Georgia, the most tradition-rich program in the state of Georgia, and that is Georgia Southern. Then now, now the biggest, the big, I mean, the, the, the high profile is the University of Georgia. USC just proved, just like Georgia Southern proved on Saturday, we ain't waiting no more, man. We listen, and I know that Vanderbilt only give their coaches four years. If you don't, if they ain't seeing progress at a certain time, whether it's incidents or not, they getting rid of guys because they're trying to salvage the players they have and the players they've already made promise to that are coming. They want to show that we are trying to win right now. Even if you went from double digit losses to double digit wins, they want to see progress. So I would say the ugly is do not feel unless your last name is Saban or Mullen or Smart or Day or you know. Don't get comfortable at these schools because they're trying to get the best coach right now to make sure they keep on, you know, going to, you know, uh, you know, uh, keeping things on the positive track. So for me, the ugly is job security at a big time traditional rich university or college. If you ain't winning, I'm telling you, like, don't be like, oh man, you heard what happened to Chan? Uh, coach want to see you. I mean, uh, AD want to see you. What? Yeah. So I would just say that's the ugly for me because, like I said, BJ, I know we were talking about it. 
yesterday when it happened uh, with Coach Lunsford, it's a byproduct of the times and the, and and the, and the future. If the president don't look, if the president don't look like we're going into the future in a positive light, they got to move on. I will say along the lines of Ben, uh, that's for me with the ugly. I put Georgia Southern down there because again, I in kind of the same way I, I looked at with Ben. You lose a tough game to Louisiana. You're not off to the start you want. You fire your head coach. And, of course, you had a video that goes viral on top of that of a junior defensive tackle, Gavin Adcock, riding on top of the bus, somebody throwing him a beverage, him chugging said beverage, while the bus is in motion. And, again, while as a college – as someone said, as a college student, you probably thought that was a good idea. Now that you're, you know, our age and you get up into more adulthood, you're like, yeah, it's not a good idea. And certainly not a good idea – that you want out there saying, did you see what happened at the Georgia Southern game? And it's the players riding on top of the bus, a player who is a junior in the program, who's been there a long enough time to know, hey, don't vehicle surf on the bus on the way to the Eagle Walk. Like, you don't do that. And, again, and as you said, you go into that, to the firing of the coach, and now you're at a crisis of what do we want to be if you're Georgia Southern? Do we want to be a off option team? Do we want to modernize the offense? Do we want to be a physical team on defense? Do we want to be a coverage team on defense? What do we want to be as a program that I don't know, BJ, outside of the inception day, and even that day, you go back and they've got the big, you know, Irk Russell quote, hey, we got here, we didn't have footballs, but we got a beautiful Eagle Creek, and we're going to be this and this. That's kind of the mission statement. I don't know that you ever had to ask yourself at Georgia Southern, what do we want to be as a program? And you're asking it now. I think that's ugly uh, for, for Georgia Southern. And I think there's there's a, a lack of a consensus around that, right? You know, do we want to be an option team? It's not the flex bone, okay? Georgia Southern doesn't run the flex bone. But do you want to be a, kind of an option-based rushing team? Do you want more of a traditional offense in today's college football? There's a lot of discussion back and forth about that and 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 clearly the direction you want to go is going to be affirmed by the coach you hire and you know you mentioned the uh you know the situation with uh, the player on top of the bus you know a safety issue you know very clearly a safety issue and and concerns there but i think in terms of what do we want to be i don't i don't think we know that yet from the outside looking in but i think when whenever a new coach is hired we will get that answer and georgia southern will strive for the best with that identity as as the goal. Change is imminent in everything that we do. Change is imminent in life. I, I know we've getting I know we've grown accustomed to certain schools looking a certain way. Uh, but the thing about Georgia Southern is they were saying, listen, we prepare for the future in the present. So presently right now, what we're doing isn't working for our team. And I just think that if you recruiting is a lot it has a lot to do based on the style of offense you run, not not more than a defense. If you talk about a school like like Georgia Southern, they change up their offense. They're going to be able to get a different level of recruiting there, a different level of player in there. I mean, for everybody that thought that the, that the Jeff Collins situation wasn't going to work, I give you Mercedes-Benz Stadium versus North Carolina. If they put it all together, that's how they look. Look at what running the football and opening up does for the defense. Hey, man, we don't got to worry about a real, real quick offense. Man, we can run back on the field. So it can work. Even, even if even if people are going to have to get used to it. BJ, me and you was at Georgia Tech when they started out and, and people thought that they was going to go, uh, you know, uh, back to the uh, back to the option, Kevin, and they ended up going. They, they, they checked out of it and went to the pass, even though, Kevin, uh, they tried to throw – they tried to do a double pass from uh, 
I can't even think of the quarterback name. Now throw the freaking out, uh, throw the freaking out uh, Calvin Johnson, and they wouldn't, and they wouldn't let him. They wouldn't let him. Oh, Joe Ham. Oh, they Joe tried Hamm, to yeah. sack Joe Ham. I'm like, dude, that, that's what. But I will say this: Kevin Georgia Southern is a peculiar case, but I do think that uh, Jared Binko about to earn his money because everybody will be watching to see who the next head coach at, for the Georgia Southern Eagles will be. And we've got more to come here on three. Now we'll come back and look at the weekend that was in the SEC, and it was a big one. Good, bad. And the ugly, we just did it. You could probably throw some of that out just on the SEC this weekend as well. We'll get to that next. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you here on three and out on this Monday. Kevin, BJ, and Ben looking back at the weekend that was in the SEC. I know we just did good, bad, the ugly. You could probably do that here with the SEC just on its own. Auburn struggled barely. I say barely. People say maybe a bad call for Georgia State helped Auburn pull away, but Auburn barely gets by Georgia State. Missouri loses to Boston College. Had a chance, even though I think Boston College was in control much of that ball game. Kentucky holds on against South Carolina. Probably says more about where South Carolina has come than Kentucky. A lot of people thought maybe Kentucky, if they're really where they're at, bends up by a couple of scores there over South Carolina. Florida all over Tennessee. LSU. A win over Mississippi State, maybe saying that they're headed back in the right direction. But let's start there in the east. Uh, certainly, Florida beating Tennessee. Tennessee doesn't score in the second half uh, against Florida, despite 423 yards of total offense and 20 first downs. Doing some things you would expect. Florida, though, keeps them out of the end zone in the second half, 38-14. I mean, do we believe in Florida yet? I know, I know in the preseason it was, you know, really trendy to say, hey, the Gators are going to take a step back and they're not going to be, they're not going to be, you know, a, a, a contending team. And Florida has proven that as a program, they are a consistent winner now with, with, with Dan Mullen. And of course, you had to replace a ton of big time talent from this roster, but this is still a very talented roster. And not only did Florida's defense make a statement, I thought, against a Tennessee team that scores on people now. I mean, we saw what they did against Pitt. Tennessee's offense is a difficult matchup for anybody, and Florida's defense, after making some adjustments at the break, was elite. But also, how about Emory Jones? I mean, this young man has been a, a, a really good story this year in terms of being productive, being proficient, uh, has come out and has said all the right things about a potential you know, quarterback controversy. He's been a leader, and he's been a playmaker. And he was great on Saturday. And I do still think we see Anthony Richardson uh, some moving forward now that he's healthy. I think Richardson has earned that. But you want your starting quarterback to set the tone. You want your starting quarterback to, you know, say positive things and be optimistic and, you know, be be a leader. And I think we've seen that out of Emory Jones. Uh, he, is, he is coming off being maybe the best performance of his career. Uh, I thought I had a really nice game against Tennessee. And I think Florida has – a lot of momentum and should have a lot of confidence heading into the middle portion of the schedule. Yeah, I, I was very, very impressed with the Florida defense. I mean, they came out and said after the game when I mean, uh, you talk about the, you talk about the seventy-five yard touchdown pass. I mean, I don't know what the safety was looking at. Guy got caught, you know, kind of staring at the quarterback, staring in the backfield, and uh, the receiver just got behind him. You talk about the long, uh, the long uh, touchdown, uh, you know, a uh, screen play, uh, you know, which is another play that got away from him, but. I do agree, BJ. Emory Jones is the guy that where he understands that he's going to have to share, uh, he's going to have to share the load a little bit uh, with the guy in Anthony Richardson. Anthony Richardson, obviously, he seems to be a, both a team first guys, right? Both guys are always saying complimentary things. But credit Florida 
for not having that Alabama hangover. People, I mean, Alabama comes to town. You understand that it's going to be high-profile game with against the premier college football team in the country. You lose by two points. You could have easily let's play down to a Tennessee team that was played that night. By the way, I cannot stand. Well, I'm not going to watch the game during the day, but it, the game was that night, and just credit those guys for just for just staying the course. But this is a Florida team that understands. I don't know if they're number one or number two rushing. Florida is running the football. So when people start saying, hey, Emory ain't lighting up, throwing the ball through the air because they're running the football and they're running it effectively. They didn't even attempt to run it in a damn mother's first three years. Felipe Franks and Kyle Trash look around like, where was this when I played? I mean, I didn't get none of this. But credit to the offense running the football, uh, staying ahead of the chains, keeping pressure. Uh, you know, on that Tennessee team. And like you said, Kevin Note scored, uh, didn't score in the second half. So, yeah, a great team game, uh, and uh, which is going to, you want to keep building confidence with, uh, you know, teams like George and LSU coming down the pipe. And maybe the biggest surprise, we've talked about it a lot, of the uh, the SEC weekend Arkansas beating Texas AM, continuing their fine play. Arkansas doing really well, Texas AM, with a backup quarterback in Calzada. Obviously, they're not the contender yet. If you, you lost to Arkansas, that sets up huge. We'll talk about that game in just a little bit. But Arkansas, obviously, uh, getting it done against Texas A&M, another big statement for Sam Pittman. And they play great defense. You know, it's really fun to watch Arkansas play defense because they're active. They have defensive backs that play close to the line of scrimmage. You got linebackers making tackles all over the place. One of my favorite players in the country is Jalen Catalan, uh, the, the, the safety for Arkansas, uh, who can play in the slot, can play the traditional safety role. Uh, he's not the biggest guy. He's not one of those 6'4", 235-pound safeties, but he's in on every tackle, every single tackle. Uh, and then Arkansas has a couple linebackers that are all SEC good. That defensive line just keeps coming after you. And Traylon Burks, to go back to him, this guy is awesome to watch. Over 150 yards receiving, had an 80-something yard, I think an 87-yard touchdown catch, and that's coming off of another play of that length against Georgia Southern where he took it to the house. Burks is probably the best big play receiver in the country. And I know you have Kayshawn Butte. I know Jacob Copeland's been really good. He's probably the best. John Metchie's right there. Uh, Jamison Williams has been great. But I think he's probably the best overall receiver in the SEC. Uh, this team is balanced. And I keep going back to that. You saw that against Texas A&M, right? Even, even with good teams, normally when good teams win, they do it with doing one thing really, really well, right? Our defensive line is going to dominate, or you can't stop our running game, or we're going to throw it all over the place, or we're going to be so good in the secondary, you're going to have to dink and dunk your way down the field. Arkansas might might be good at everything, and, and that doesn't necessarily mean they're off the charts great at one thing, but they're really, really good at everything, and I think that balance makes them tough to beat. That balance is a testament, you know, to the coaches and the leadership on that roster. Yes, Kevin, very impressed with Arkansas beating Texas A&M by double digits on Saturday. KJ Jefferson, 7-15, 212 yards, two scores. That is efficient, ladies and gentlemen. I put the ball in there 15 times, went over 200 yards, and had two scores. I think A.J. Green, I think the other receiver had like one catch for like 48 yards and a touchdown. What makes Arkansas dangerous is, one, they believe in a coach, they believe in each other, and they're tired of being bottom feeders. They play with confidence. Traylon Burks would come after the game saying, look, you put one-on-one against me, I don't care who it is. I mean, if KJ Jefferson looks out and sees one-on-one against Traylon Burks, I will put my money on Traylon Burks every single time. I mean, six for 167 in the score. But BJ and Kevin, the thing about this Arkansas team that's not being talked about enough is they play together. 
Like, it's not, this isn't a one-man band. I know that KJ and Trey are going to get all the ink in the paper, but when you talk about this defense, a lot of guys, them linebackers, they put on clinics. They run and they hit. But, yeah, I do like Arkansas. They made a huge statement. So now, Texas A&M can go tell Texas, hey, we did, listen, we did, they did the same thing to us. They did to y'all. And they, and they, even though they welcomed Texas to the SEC well before they get here, uh, you know, uh, old Arkansas saying, listen, we run the state of Texas. I know it's a street. One, one side of Arkansas, one side of Texas, Arkansas saying, please, stay on your side of the street. you got to be a grown man to come to this side. All right, you look around the rest of the SEC. Obviously, that was the headliner. What kind of stood out to you of the SEC? Anybody kind of change your mind on some things uh, with the way they played this week? LSU. You know, when you play Mississippi State, that's always tough. I mean, LSU can certainly attest to that going back to last season. And you were in a tight game, Mississippi State playing at home. You know, when you're on the road in conference, especially in the SEC, that's always tough. You got off to a good start. You know, got off to a good start with Max Johnson fighting Kayshawn Butte early for a touchdown. Got, you know, got tight in the fourth quarter. Mississippi State made a comeback, but you were able to hold on. Uh, hold on. And, and, and that's what it's all about. And I think Max Johnson might have had his best game. I know the game in the swamp was great, but Max Johnson throws for 280 yards and four touchdowns. And you think about the passing attack. Uh, LSU had more big plays in the passing game than Mississippi State. And LSU, let's not forget about them. You know, they're still a team that can shake things up. They have Auburn this weekend. You talk about Alabama later in the year. Uh, We'll see what they do against Ole Miss. So I think LSU reminded everybody, hey, don't forget about us. Keep an eye on the LSU Tigers in the SEC West. Big win winning in Starkville. My mama kept asking me what time Alabama played on Saturday. I said, I don't know. She said, who they playing? I said, I don't know. I guess what? I mean, whoo. This is what's scary about Alabama. I know that Georgia has a defense that's incredible, right? I know that Auburn. I know that Auburn right now has a curious case of Bo Nix. I know that Arkansas is probably is probably a team we ain't talking about enough. But the thing about Alabama is, I think they had two special team touchdowns. Think about that. As great yeah, as they same, are already, same guy, Jameson. Yeah, yeah, as, as, as great as they are already, they got people. So now you got a defense that you can't score on. Or move the ball on. You got an offense with a guy in Bryce Young who's trying to be the first ever Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback. They don't even talk about the run game because, well, it's Alabama. You know, Robinson, those guys who can go out there and get it done. Now they're doing it on special teams. So while Georgia is number two, Arkansas is number eight, Florida, you know, is playing well. And, you know, LSU finally got over the hump with Mississippi State. You know, uh, you know, Kentucky seems to keep keep uh, keep with their winning ways. Them boys are tussling losers say, listen, listen, listen. We're the most not talked about number one team in the country I've ever seen. Confidence being built in Tuscaloosa, and that is not going to bode well because if you meet if you meet Alabama on a neutral field in the SEC championship game and they want you to win, you will. If they don't, you will not because them boys are playing some big-time football. So shout-out to the Alabama boys who are not being talked about, I guess, enough, I guess, if you want to look at it like that, Kevin. Yeah, I, again, I, I think Alabama's going to keep rolling on until, again, we're waiting to see them play some of these teams at the top of their schedule and, and see how it shapes up. But, again, I, I thought this weekend uh, Missouri losing was kind of tough. I think that was one for the league you probably thought you could get out of conference. Good one for the ACC because they needed it uh, bad. Kentucky, I thought, better than South Carolina, didn't really play like it for much of the game. Uh, they did enough to win, but I thought they were just I, – I thought they would win by several scores uh, over South Carolina. Give – Give South Carolina a lot of credit for that game being uh, being that close. Auburn, Georgia State. 
I mean, that's Auburn being Auburn, right? I mean, well, no, BJ, that go, go your refs again. See, the refs doing it again. Well, I don't know, but I mean, but, but I don't know about that. But but again, you're talking about an Auburn team that looked pretty good, even in a loss against Penn State. They've looked pretty good for most of the season, and you have Georgia State, who again is supposed to be solid, but also got blown out by Army. Has not been off to the best start uh, that they were hoping for this season. This season, and they were right there with you for much of that football game. Well, no, Georgia State controlled much of that football game. Second half, uh, they had Auburn doubled up. They, they were up 24-12 to 12 in that game. And you talk about big special teams play, Auburn got a block punt in that game that turned that game around. But, yes, Auburn very fortunate. The fourth down conversion, very fortunate to get that win. Credit, credit T.J. Finley coming off the bench. Uh, he, he led a 99-yard game-winning scoring drive. Auburn started that drive at their one-yard line after a great punt from Georgia State, but yeah, it just goes to show you, you never know uh, on a Saturday with some of these games. We've got some big ones coming up next week. We will certainly get into that when we get back some season-defining type football games in college football. We'll break those down next. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Hit us up on Twitter, at Pigskin Radio. Good to have you here, 3 and Out, on this Monday. I know we just came off a nice weekend in college football, but BJ, Ben, Saturday is going to be huge. Number eight at number two. Number 12 at number one. Number seven at number nine. Three top 12 matchups going head-to-head this weekend in college football. I'm ready. It's, you know, it's about one of the biggest weekends I can remember. And we're going to really get a sense, you know, we're going to get a sense for the national picture. And, And here's what I mean by that. Not only do you have top 10 teams, nationally ranked teams, getting after it in games against each other, but we're kind of reaching the point in the season where you can sort of start to identify who the contenders are. So you have these big games and they're coming at a time in the schedule when you transition from month one to month two and you get into October where you start to think, okay, I know what we have here with Team X or Team Y. So really excited. Uh, I think I think Alabama Ole Miss is going to be a great matchup and not necessarily uh, only because Ole Miss could win this game. But like you said, Ben, about, about Alabama before, do we see Alabama win this game by, by, by three or four points? Or does Alabama come out and win this game by 21-plus? Can Alabama put up 60 like they had to do last year to win this game? We're going to learn a lot more about the Crimson Tide. Georgia. Georgia has been one of the most unstoppable forces in college football. I mean, to do anything against Georgia is an accomplishment. You know how guys score touchdowns and, you know, celebrate? You should do that if you get, like, seven yards against Georgia. If you get seven yards against Georgia, get up and spike the ball, whatever. But Arkansas, a balanced team, a team that has played in big games and has looked the part, not only beat Texas A&M, beat Texas. Now they're coming into a spotlight game where ESPN College Game Day is going to be there. Game Day's in Athens. I know it's an early game, but that 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 atmosphere should be incredible. Um, Georgia will be looking to affirm themselves as one of the national front runners. But, I, but I'll ask you guys this. And I, look, you already have a win over Texas. You already have a win over Texas A&M. You didn't trail in either game. You won both games by double digits. If Arkansas beats Georgia, and I know this sounds absurd, but not only do we have to talk about Arkansas as a college football playoff contender, I'll ask you guys, do they have the best resume in the country? Because I think they would, and I'm not sure it would even be close. Now, granted, that's a big if. That's a big if. But if Arkansas beats Georgia 
and you have wins over Texas, Texas A&M, and Georgia, that's the best resume in the country. That's the best. Re- that's the best resume in the country, even if they lose to Georgia. Even if they lose to Georgia close, because the whole thing about it is, Texas <clears throat> is always going to be looked upon as a contender. In the Big 12, Texas A&M, okay, they lost this weekend to, to an Arkansas team, but can they bounce back? But Arkansas, they already they might be the most dangerous team right now, uh, Kevin and BJ, when you look at how they're playing, not just who they're playing. And if they can find man, if they can if they can figure out this curious case known as the Georgia defense, because this is the thing about Georgia. Until you've been in the game, you really don't know how good you are. I'm not saying you, they're not incredible. But Georgia's first game against Clemson, that was on a neutral site, and I get it. Georgia didn't give up a touchdown, neither did Clemson. They lost. I mean, obviously, uh, Georgia won because uh, the pick six. We're talking about this Arkansas team. Look at the storylines coming out of tech, out of AM Arkansas than it was going in. Sam Pittman has had it look really, really good. No, they no. 20 to 10. You shut down a hot powered offense, <clears throat> they got some pretty good tight ends of a Texas AM. But yeah, BJ, if they oh man, my goodness. Arkansas beat Georgia. Because that's what it is with Georgia every year, right? With Kirby Smart doesn't lose a lot in the regular season, but if he does, all that, all that, all that uh, praise and act, you know, all that praise and admiration goes out the window. Did Oh, I told you it was this, and I told you it was that. Let me tell you what. Let me tell you what uh, Arkansas has that Georgia don't like. Arkansas has a solid offensive line. Georgia has a retooled offensive line. Georgia doesn't have a number one receiver. Arkansas does. Arkansas might have the number one receiver in the country. Arkansas has linebackers that keep them in games. So this is and former offensive line guru turned head coach Sam Pittman, you know, playing Georgia again. I think it's gonna, I think it's gonna be good. I think, I think Alabama Ole Miss is gonna be good. Auburn LSU could be very, very interesting. Florida, Florida, Kentucky, at Kentucky at night again. And Mississippi State, uh, Texas A&M might, might end up being the most intriguing game uh, of the weekend, but. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the uh, to the Arkansas uh, Georgia game. I think it's going to be better than people give it credit for because I think you got an Arkansas team that wants to see if they can BJ quote get seven oh. yards consistently against that Georgia D. I, good luck with that because nobody else has been able to do it. So I mean, I, I think that's what it comes down to is can Arkansas actually run the ball against this Georgia defense? Uh, because that's the game plan, right? Is to keep your defense off the field so that they can make a few plays against JT Daniels and the Dogs, and you hold on to it and try to steal one there in Athens uh, at high noon. And, look, I, I think Arkansas has played well. I don't think they've seen a defense like Georgia's yet that's going to come after them, stop the football, keep them from their game plan. And what do you do when the run game's not there to fall back on if you're Arkansas and you kind of become one-dimensional? That's where it gets interesting for, for Sam Pittman. Also, Ole Miss-Bama in the West, a big one there. And could we see – a 49-42 type ball game from Ole Miss Bam. I'm not calling the Ole Miss win, but it seems like with that offense, are you setting up for a potential shootout? Or, I mean, because Lane seems to be able to, to crack the Alabama code a little bit, right? He was there. He understands what drives Nick Saban. Can he make it a competitive ball game this weekend against Alabama? I think that's I think that's likely. Going back to your original question, do we see that high scoring game? Um, I, I, I would be really surprised, and I understand Alabama's defense is incredible, but just stylistically what both teams like to do and the rhythm they like to get into, I would be very surprised if this one's 24 to 14. That would that would be very surprising. I mean, Bryce Young versus Matt Corral. This, this is probably the best quarterback matchup we're going to see all season in college football. 
those are probably, I know it's early, but probably the top two Heisman contenders in the country going against each other, going against, you know, the opposing defenses most directly, but, you know, measuring themselves against each other. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I would not be surprised, Kevin. Uh, I, I, I would probably pick, you know, something along the lines of 49-42, 45-38. I mean, Bama dropped 62 last year. So, yes, that one's going to be one where that box score is going to be absolutely full. If you can find a way to get it, to, to run up the scoreboard two years two years against uh, Alabama when Nick Saban's had a full year to realize what you want to do, no, you know who was probably going to be on? <clears throat> that would be the Ole Miss defense because the Ole Miss defense have benefited from a great offense. If they can find a way to get, get some extra possession for, uh, for Matt Corral, it might be a game. But I think old St. Nick goes, hey, man, two years in a row. I mean, I like Matt Corral. Is he Johnny Manziel? We gonna see because you got to have a you got to be a Heisman Trophy candidate or a Heisman Trophy winner to beat Alabama. But yeah, man, we all all be a freshman free nom and, and Bo Nick. So we we'll see what happens. But I do think it's gonna be fireworks. Though. Big weekend in college football. Of course, we'll continue to talk about that as we go throughout the week. Big weekend uh, of news coming out of Statesboro and Georgia Southern. We'll hit on that when we return. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. Good to have you here on this Monday, Kevin B.J. and Ben. Of course, the news out of Statesboro, Chad Lunsford, no longer the head football coach there of the Eagles as he was let go of that position yesterday uh, there in Statesboro. Jared Binko having the press conference today to uh, to talk about that. Uh, B.J., how surprised were you to hear that news on uh, on Sunday? And then as we talked earlier, where does Georgia Southern go here moving forward? Yeah, I think it was surprising. And, you know, you wish Chad Lunch for the best moving forward, had had some, you know, really successful stretches at Georgia Southern, made history at Georgia Southern. Uh, uh, Jared Binko saying earlier a number of factors, you know, played into this. When you think about, you know, the one and three start, the, you know, the video that was released of, of the student athlete on top of the bus, uh, you know, drinking the beer with a, with a moving bus. Um, I, look, where do they want to go? I think you have to decide what type of offense you want to have. Does Georgia Southern want to have more of a spread offense? Does Georgia Southern, do the Eagles want to have, in some form, a continuation of a run-based option offense? It's, it, it's not the flex bone, but some version of that. I think I think that will determine, obviously, the kind of coach you get. Uh, Jared Binko saying it's going to be an, you know, an extended national search, and it starts now. So we'll learn a lot, clearly, about the future of Georgia Southern football uh, by the type of coach they bring in and what the offensive philosophy uh, is with that hire. I think it comes down to public perception. And the thing about uh, Georgia Southern is why they were a good program in the past. They haven't been that as of recent. And I understand the guy in Jerry Biko's situation, he's looking at the he's looking at the narrative of his team. At the last, the last thing, if you've never seen Georgia Southern and you see a kid, a young man on the top of a moving bus, with a beer in his hand and chugging it. That is not the perception you want of your team, so they're trying to get as far away from that. I think you can appreciate what Chad Lunford has done, but I also let him know that, man, maybe, you're, maybe you've done all you can do for this program at this current point. And Chad Lunford is part of a, a double-digit loss or double-digit win team. But, yeah, Kevin, I do agree with BJ. It's going to come down to what coach. Do you want a disciplinary coach, a players coach? But it's all, it's all going to reside on what type of offense because as soon as you get away from the flex bone or the, you know, or, or the option, you're going to be able to open up recruiting in a, in a total different type of way for a team of Georgia Southern, I think, deserves that. Well, I mean, Jared Binko with kind of some interesting thoughts in the, the press conference saying, look, I, we we're looking for a CEO, a guy who can build young men, who can shape the direction of the program. To me, that's not necessarily about offensive philosophy as 
much as can a guy run the program and bring in guys to supplement what he wants to do, a la, and I'm not saying this, I'm talking more about the role in which they incorporate, a la like a Dabo Swinney type where he's kind of the face of the program running things. But you look at that Clemson team and it is, I got my two guys running it. I'm running the program. These guys are putting their imprints on the offense and the defense. Well, yeah, I mean, your coordinator hires, hires are critical, but I still think there's, there's you know, such a, a, a talking point, a ongoing discussion about Georgia Southern's offense that you're going to have to have kind of a, a clear identity, in my mind, offensively uh, with the new hire you make. 200 is, the, 200 is the magic number, Kevin. Every time Georgia Southern runs for 200 yards, they win. Every time they don't, they lose. That is a high bar. I don't think you want to be putting it on your offense every single week. We'll see. Obviously, we know who's going to finish out the season there at that Georgia Southern, and now the search begins. Do we get something before the end of the season? Jared Binko said, you know, probably not at this point. We've got more tomorrow for you. Stay with us. Three and out. Southern Pigskin Radio Network, streaming live, ESPN Coast.